Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Jake, get days like this out of the way, right? On non-track days here in the month of May? Totally agree. Uh, it's supposed to be really good starting on... I think tomorrow is supposed to rain as well. Then Wednesday forward... Um, you know I hate talking about forecasts when it comes to there, but it's supposed. To, it looks very good. It does. Um, yeah, I kind of walked out the front door this morning and was like, whoa, that's a lot of rain on the ground. Uh, pretty wet. Just walking out to the car on this Monday morning. Uh, no track activity over at IMS today. Continuing to turn things over from the road course to the oval. Tomorrow is when things will get underway, as Jake said. Uh, certainly some rain in the forecast. I saw potentially it could just be kind of more overnight into the morning, so maybe tomorrow afternoon a chance to get out there. But Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, a very busy days for practice, and the weather does look promising, honestly, even leading into quals this weekend. So good Monday morning to everybody. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton. Our driver series continues in earnest. Mark Dykton, did you uh, have an intuition that Alex Pillow was going to dominate the Grand Prix, so let's book him for Monday, May 15th? I'd love to say I did, but I didn't. It just happened to work that way, and I was happy to see him win. I was like, yeah, hey, that was solid. That's nice. That was a, um, and I don't think this is hyperbole, but feel free, Jake, uh, that was like Max Verstappen F1 dominance. I mean, it was, yes. And you now, don't see that in any car, to be fair, you which know, the, I like. The tire strategies came into play a little bit. I don't, you know, I don't want to get too far into the weeds there and, and lose the audience that doesn't follow it on a regular basis. But you have two kinds of tires on road and street course. One of them faster off the get go, and but they don't last as long. And that's what Pelo started with at the beginning of the race, which allowed him to jump out to a lead. But then he had to kind of hold on to it late in that stint, as we call it. And so they, they alternated the lead, he and Christian Lungard, at the beginning of the race for the first probably three quarters of the race. But he saved really good tires for the end. And once he got up front, he was able to then just kind of pull away. Um, and the real battle became, you know, a couple of battles for like third and fourth, that kind of thing. So, you know, Polo does, he feels like one of those guys, Kevin, that it, it, there are probably three that I would put in this category. Polo would be one. Pato Award would be one. And frankly, I would say McLaughlin, even though Newgarden is the easy answer here, but those guys just feel like they are destined at some point to win an Indianapolis 500. And maybe that's the ultimate jinx. I don't know. But it just feels like it was. Obviously, Pelot was close a couple years ago. Yeah. With Elio. Um, in that back and forth. And he's going to join us today coming up at 9 30. Doug Bowles, the weekly month of May on Monday appearances for the president of the Speedway coming up at 8 o'clock. And then Bob Kravitz to join us at 9. So a whole lot to get to, a whole lot to get to on this Monday morning. Um, again, the track will open up oval wise tomorrow. We've got a final four set in the NBA. How was uh, Mother's Day weekend for you guys? Uh, it was good. In you know, obviously, I was at the track on Saturday for the race. Yesterday, uh, we were going to go to dinner, and then my dad, nothing major, but wasn't feeling well, so my mom said, "Yeah, I'm just going to you know s- stay in with dad and watch TV, whatever." So I went over to my parents' house for a little bit. Um, 
And that was cool, and just kind of used the day to get set for the week this week, to be honest with you. What about you? Yeah, that's kind of a recharge day for you, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, yeah, was able to see both my mother-in-law and my mom yesterday, so obviously super, super grateful that I can do that, and that they are still around, and they still live you know, here uh, in our own backyard. So really nice day, enjoyed it, long day, certainly, having to bounce you know, to, to, to both those spots, but it was a great Mother's Day, and I... I think Maddie got a somewhat of a chance to relax once the kids once the kids went down. You know, it seems th- there was a lot that took place in the world of sports over the course of the weekend. Um, everything from, as you had mentioned, I, the NBA playoffs to me, it does feel like there is, in my opinion, of the four teams remaining, there is one I think that is. Although I, you know, I keep selling Denver short, but to me, Boston is in a different tier than the other three. That's probably selling Denver short. But Jason Tatum is the best player left. Um, Jokic is a fabulous talent. But Tatum can take over games, as we saw in Game 7. I know Anthony Davis and LeBron are great. Um, But it feels to me like Boston is on a destiny course here. It's wild to think, Jake, they were on the road facing elimination just whatever night that was. Thursday night? Wednesday night? And now they are like one of the biggest conference final favorites we've seen. It's almost like Vegas, I would say, is taking what you're saying, Jake, and to another level. No one is giving Miami a chance, at least out in Vegas. Boston is minus 600 to win this conference finals. Uh, The Heat are plus 460. That is a massive difference. If you look at the Lakers and the Nuggets, it's pretty much a coin flip. Denver is a slight favorite in that series. And yes, Miami, their ability to score certainly is in question, but boy, I just... You continue to overlook Miami, and Boston has kind of had these moments where like, they didn't really close out Atlanta in the most impressive fashion. Maybe I'm nitpicking here, but again, against Philly, I mean, they were on the road with the potential to have their season end before... They obviously won game six. And then yesterday, Jason Tatum, I mean, one of the best playoff performances you'll, you'll ever see, particularly in a game seven with what he did. 51 points, 13 rebounds, five assists, two steals, zero turnovers in 42 minutes. And you forget, looking at that final score, you're like, at one point early in the third quarter, I, I'm pretty sure the game was tied. Yeah. And next thing you know, it was, Boston wins by twenty five. It was, I believe, fifty five fifty two at one point, and then there was like a twenty four to six run, and it's like, okay, well, this is over. I, you know, I think it was Derek Schultz that made this point, which was, it's hard to fathom, but a but a fantastic point that, you know, the Sixers as a franchise have had Barkley, obviously Iverson. I mean, you look at some of the Harden and and Bead now, right? And with all of the players they've had, they haven't made an Eastern Conference Final in what? Like, when's the last time they were in the Eastern Conference Final? Well, it would have been Iverson and them going to the title, the, right? Yeah, the and the, against the Lakers, right? Um, so right, right around the turn of the century. Yeah, it's I mean, and, and I did have to laugh. I mean, I mean the Sixers did have Jimmy Butler at one point, and now look at where those two individually, Jimmy Butler's gone, and where he's taking those teams as well versus where. The Sixers have gone six straight, I believe, conference semifinal exits for Philly. Uh, so not even getting to the brink of the NBA Finals. Um, so those series will get underway Tuesday and Wednesday. You'll have the Western Series get underway first. So that'll be tomorrow night. 
Uh, it looks like all 8.30 tip times, which I'm very happy about. Actually, are, are we starting tonight? No, no, no. Tuesday. Tuesday night will be the Lakers at the Nuggets, 8.30. The Western Conference Series on ESPN. The Eastern Conference Series on TNT. So then Heat and Celtics get underway Wednesday. So every other day for each of these series here. And it uh, looks like all 8.30 tip times, which that's great. Now. The this was How about this, Kevin? The Philadelphia 76ers have made one Eastern Conference Finals since 1985. Boy, you Nearly, gotta go that far back. I, I mean, that's unbelievable. Like yeah. when when you consider, I mean, and again, Eastern Conference Finals. We're not saying NBA. Correct. I, I mean, good lord. Last time we had a seven and an eight seed in the conference finals, the bubble. I don't know. Actually, it was the same four teams as the bubble, but I don't know what their seeds were. I mean, isn't that kind of unprecedented since we've gone to these best of sevens? I don't. F- and again, to call the Lakers and or the Heat some underdog Cinderella is. A bit foolish. I mean, they're really good teams that were that finally got healthy, right? But it is. I mean, in Miami's case, though, haven't they gotten more injured with Tyler Hero and well, Oladipo? Yeah. Even I, I mean, yeah. I, Tyler Hero. I get that Oladipo wasn't a mainstay for him, but the interesting thing about Tyler Hero is, as good as he is, they have become accustomed to thinking of him as bonus because he's his health has never been a consistency. But when he plays, he's a good player. But I think they just prepare to not have him more often than not. Um, you know, also in the NBA, Kevin, it's a slippery slope kind of to get into, I realize. But the future of John Morant is becoming more cloudy by the day, right? I mean... Yeah, John Morant needs some more supportive friends. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Not to mention John Morant probably could look in the mirror himself. Uh, what, was it eight games? Was that the suspension the first time? What do you do? Do you double? Do you triple that? Well, the hard thing is this. And I'm going to play, I'm playing devil's advocate to an extent, but I think it is a fair point to address. What John Morant did is not criminally illegal. Now, in the club, when he was in, for, when he was in a nightclub and he flashed a firearm, that probably was against the rules of the club, I would assume. Yeah, was he just in his car in this video? Is that but he was like? in a car with a friend of his and had a weapon in his hand. By the letter of the law, that is his constitutional right. Doesn't mean it's a great choice. And we don't know what Memphis maybe put in parameter-wise after the first offense. Who knows what his contract says? Yeah. But in reality, by the letter and the spirit of the law, he has done nothing criminally wrong. Poor taste or showing lax approach to a very serious thing like a firearm, especially considering, and I I do think that his, (coughs) excuse me, his position as, you know, a young man who is coming out of an environment where firearms are probably relatively detrimental to the culture in which he was raised probably is factored into it. But it is still within his legal right to own a firearm by the letter of the law. So how do you discipline somebody for something that is not illegal? You would have to go back and see what his contract says. And I have no idea what his contract says. Yeah, were there any adjustments to it after what happened just a couple but months you know, ago? Like if 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 our radio job, Kevin, said to me, Jake, 
we, we hired you knowing that you already once had had a heart attack, so you are no longer allowed to drink caffeine, even though it's well within my legal right to drink caffeine, even though like my cardiologist has told me I can drink caffeine, if my employer puts it into an agreement that I agree to that I can't drink caffeine, then I probably am going to have to deal with the penalties if I'm caught drinking caffeine. That's kind of where they are, right? I don't know what he what he agreed to, but I think the best way to say it is what you said. He needs to have better friends. Well, and Jake, my other thought is if he's doing this on Instagram Live, what is he doing off Instagram Live? Also an excellent point, yes. Just a bit scary to think about all that. Um, I guess a transition from Ja Morant, because when on the floor, what he's done for that franchise is quite the 180. Um, Jake... Maybe it gets lost in the calendar. Maybe because we're in this market and we have just this unbelievable event coming up in less than two weeks, it gets lost in the shuffle. Obviously, the Colts have had a huge offseason storyline um, that has dominated a lot of our conversation. And the odds aren't great. But tomorrow night, ping pong balls are literally going to change the NBA future for one franchise in a way we have not seen in two decades. Do we believe 6.8%? Well, let's see what the tankathon says, Kevin. Shall and like we? what events have happened that have been 6.8%? You know, I brought up earlier uh, a 7 and an 8 seed making the finals of their respective conferences. I would guess if you would have said at the start of the playoffs, hey, you can bet on uh, a 7 and an 8 seed making the conference finals, I would venture to guess that's probably around 10%. Less than 10%. NBA lottery tomorrow night, Victor Webanyama. And the ping pong balls for the Pacers. Okay, here we go. The Pacers currently sitting seventh in terms of where they are slotted. But again, the ping pong balls that are going to bounce around when you do a simulation. They sound beautiful, Mark, on a Monday. With the third pick. Whoa! And the 2023 NBA Mock Draft Tankathon, the Indiana Pacers select... Brandon Miller from the University of Alabama. It's interesting. Miller is the one that... Maybe that was our John Morant transition. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nicely done. Brandon Miller is the one that... If the Pacers on this thing were to go to two, they would still have Brandon Miller there, even though they have Brandon Miller going three if the Pacers were there and somebody else taking Scoot Henderson second. I believe they would take Miller over Scoot Henderson. Is it Scoot on the birth certificate like it is with Sting Sting Ray Rob? That's a good question. Oh, yes. Jizzle James, Mark brings up. Edron's son. Playing Mm -hmm. at Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Let's see what Scoot's real name is. Uh, on the ping pong ball front, again, tomorrow night, Tyrese, has it, have the Pacers even officially announced it's been Halliburton? I, mean, I don't even know I if I've said that or it's, seen that. By the way, it's Sterling Henderson. I like that. Mm, I do like yeah, that. Sterling Henderson. I can see why Scoot has plugged uh, in Yesterday, form. Sterling Henderson and I hit the little ball around on the links. Do you want to talk PGA Championship second major of the year this week? Sure. The, this is uh, Jordan Spieth. Fortunately, he's out. I know. That's what I was saying. Jordan Spieth being out really changes things. Wrist injury for Rory McIlroy. For I, I do. Rory is a member at Oak Hill, actually. So I do think that's a good oh, right idea. Up, right up by Marion. Okay. <laughs> no, not not, not the that basketball Oak Hill. academy. <laughs> Rochester, New York. Which this time of year I thought it was a bit risky. You know that they played a major in Rochester, New York, but I think they're going to get away with it weatherwise. Do you know what's based in Rochester, New York? Uh they got a AAA team, right? Uh, Kodak. 
Kodak Film based in Rochester, New York. Really? Yep. When I was in college, I'm, I will say no names. And they're Western, right? They don't like to be called Northern New York, right? Or Upstate, I should say. I think they're Upstate. When I was in college, I will say no names. But one of the basketball players at Indiana, one day there was a knock at the door, opened the door, and there was a fairly attractive woman that was about 40 oh. standing at the door like, and said players like, can I help you? And the woman said, I live in Rochester, New York, and was watching an Indiana basketball game on television and saw you and drove here because I want to hook up with you. From Rochester, New York. Hmm. That is... You know, that I sp- is spent four years in Bloomington. Can't say I had any of those knocks. Uh, I mean, well, okay. I'm just saying. And care to finish the story, or is that where? I, you know what? To be honest with you, I don't think said it, player went went through with it. Correct. I, I think said players like um, this woman drove like how far to come to Bloomington? That's got like some issues written all over it, and I, I think actually. Like I, I, the woman like showed up a couple places and it was like yeah I, you know I'm very flattered but no thank you. Well, she was attractive though. Well, you came all this way. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. You want to go to the night moves? Um, <laughs> speaking of that, again, a nice transition off that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess it happened a little bit after our show on Friday, Jake. But a big, uh, big recruit for Mike Woodson, five star McKenzie Mbako, heading to Bloomington was a Duke commit. At one point, um, actually pretty late here in the cycle, Duke, based off the NBA flirt, you know, I was saying a couple weeks ago, okay, how can IU kind of reshift here late in the spring? I thought the NBA draft is where they could benefit, and I more thought NBA draft guys that would then come back to college and then enter the transfer portal. You do see it. It's kind of a small pool. Well, in Abaco's case, um, one of the Duke guys decided to come back, so maybe the minutes he thought that could have been available to him as a freshman not as abundant he reopens and picks indiana over kansas you know another one of the interesting points of that i was talking to a buddy of mine who's a huge kansas alum and booster and whatever else because he chose indiana over kansas basically and my buddy said yeah we used all our nil money on hunter dickinson i mean that's essentially what it came down to we had no money left okay now for indiana the question you have to ask yourself if you look at last year's team and you remove Trace Jackson Davis, Race Thompson, Jalen Hood Shafino, who am I missing here? Miller Cop. Miller Cop, Tamar Bates. And you replace that group with two five stars, one that played a year in Oregon and one that's going to be a true freshman. Xavier Johnson and a point guard from Ohio. Which group is better? And I'm not saying that like rhetorically, like there's an obvious answer. Which group is better, though? Does Indi- People that I understand, I understand that it beats the alternative, but I'm just saying like you have to kind of temper your expectations just because of the fact that look at what they are replacing. Yeah, I guess to answer your question, yes, I, I would – Take the 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 trace and the Jalen Huchafino. Of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Jalen Huchafino's freshman year was pretty darn good. Yeah, he's a really good player. Um, and honestly, five stars just don't necessarily arrive on college campuses and be as consistent and as just solid as Huchafino was. So, 
Um, you know, having said that, they had to pivot in a big, big way. I do think they are a much more versatile team, particularly in the front court. Um, again, this is not to say that these guys are better than a Trace Jackson Race Thompson combination, because I don't think they are. But you know, Trace and Race were pretty just stationary. Sounds like such a negative term, but again, they weren't as versatile. They aren't going to you know impact the game as much on the perimeter. So it's going to be kind of a new look for Mike Woodson, probably a little bit more of an NBA way that Woodson would like to play. I do think something that will be interesting to see with Woodson here moving forward, if this is the pattern, I don't think it'll be to this extent he wants to go down, but I do think they're going to be active in the portal a good, a good amount. The other college basketball team, or I should say an other college basketball team that's been super portal active is coached by a guy that has ample NBA background as well. And that would be Eric Musselman with Arkansas. And yeah. Arkansas has been really good. I mean, if you look at what they've done tournament-wise over the last few years. So I am curious if Woodson kind of looks at it and says, you know what? I mean, I had turnover in the NBA. Like, I can I can handle I, I this. I do think he feels that way, don't you, a little bit? Yeah, and I also feel like when Hood Shafino declared for the draft, I remember having the conversation, Jake, you and I did that next day of, there will be a domino effect with Jalen Hood Shafino that will impact some recruits. And I don't think, sure, and Baco, it's probably very nice NIL. Obviously, IU has minutes readily available for him, all of those things. But I think what Mike Woodson and that staff did with Jalen Hood Shafino has to resonate to guys of like, oh, wow. He, he developed him. I mean, sure, he was a five-star, but I don't think anyone thought this time last year Jalen Huchifino would be a back-end-of-the-lottery guy. Right. And he is that. So kudos to Mike Woodson for that development. Obviously, when you look at this kid and you look at his size and how he, I believe Carmel Anthony had a conversation with him, You know, certainly that appeal is quite obvious. Um, so I do think Indiana, without question, needed reinforcements. Um, again, five-star freshmen don't just show up on campus and deliver for you in a team aspect. I want to say if you look at the Elite Eight last year, I don't believe, I don't think there was a single five-star. Um, I think Texas might have been the only team if I saw that correctly. And even their five-stars uh, weren't even in kind of top five scores for them. So it's not like all of a sudden I, I sit here and think of IU as a top ten team or anything like that. But definitely bolsters where they were at right now. And so much still is going to be on the plate of Xavier Johnson. I mean, you just read off, Jake, additions and subtractions. I mean, you need steadiness from Xavier Johnson so bad. Because what's your backcourt right now? You know, it sounds like this kid's kind of a three or a four. Um, I mean, Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway. And then you go to CJ Gunn. So, growth from Gunn, obviously Galloway, and then Xavier Johnson not being as volatile as he typically can be that will be by the way vital is it, for indiana is it Mbaco? is that how we're I, I, yeah i, I it's uh, mgb but I, I think it's Mbaco, right yeah i looked it up and that's what that's what i saw on that okay front. he's a new jersey kid is that right correct rossell new jersey now rivals has his still showing future cast results kansas 65 percent well it, he's committed to indiana i the, the sad reality of recruits today is that he is committed to Indiana and I will and I'm not saying he's not going there I have nothing but I'll believe it when I see him wearing candy striped pants you know what I mean like any more I mean it's like good lord guys are switching all over the place 
but it beats the alternative, and it does make them better on the wing. No doubt about it. Yeah, a little bit more versatile as well. Sounds like a guy that definitely um, has some ability to stretch the floor. So uh, be interested to see his fit and then Khalil Ware as well. Again, from a lottery standpoint for the Pacers tomorrow night, um, a thousand ping pong balls, and the Pacers get 68 of them. 68 combinations, I should say. 68 of 1,000. By the way, you're wearing, I think it's this is perfect. Since this is the month of May, you are wearing the two things that anybody in Indianapolis should immediately associate as peaking in the month of May, Pabst and Reds, right? Those are two things mm-hmm. that... I feel like the Reds are playing better baseball. Well, they lost to the Marlins yesterday. Yeah, but they, uh, didn't they hadn't they won like the three previous? <laughs> I did see the Cardinals uh, had a sweep, and I just feel like... When I see the Cardinals with a sweep versus the Reds getting a sweep, I can't tell you how different my mindset is with those two. I fans. got some Cardinal fan that sent me a text the other day. Uh, your joke about the Cardinals being the smartest fans in baseball is way overplayed at this point. I've never heard a Cardinal fan say that. Okay. Okay. I've never heard a Cardinal fan claim they're the best fans in baseball. They have a Twitter page called that, but I've never heard any of them say it. The Reds have a sweep, and I'm like, oh, the downfall is just going to be even more excruciating. The Cardinals get a sweep, and I'm like, oh, they're going to win the Central. Are you going to abandon being a Reds fan? Are you going to abandon following this team? Did you see how many people were at your A's game the other day? My Uh, God. Mark, I also We should all go to an A's game. I'll, I'll, yeah, let's I'll just, just all get on a flight listen, to Oakland. I'll, I'll spring for the tickets. Let's just go. You're going to spring for the flights? Yeah, I'll buy the flight. Tickets? They're going to pay us to show I, up there. we gotta fly, We got to fly like Spirit Airlines, but like, like all three of us, let's just go to an A's game. Mark, Jake's I, flipping I, for the tickets. Oh, thanks for the $2, Jake. <laughs> I thought your Cubs were playing an NFC North game yesterday with that oh, final boy. score. Yeah, that wasn't great. Vikings 16, Cubs 3. Yeah, not ideal. They go for two at bears. one point and they couldn't convert? Wasn't good. Justin Not a good Jefferson of the two point How many people were times? at the A's game? What was the announced attendance for the Oakland I don't know, Athletics? but I saw a video where it was like... Uh, I mean, maybe 100. That was yeah. 40 minutes before and the game started. The granted. video was of some, some uh, you know, employee, like an usher, telling people, hey, you got to go get in your assigned seats. <laughs> you cannot move down a section. And there's like five like rows of people. There's no one there. They still aren't at double-digit wins, right? No, they're 9-33, and 33, I think. Mm-hmm. Just setting up for a second-half push. Uh, Doug Bowles joins us at 8 o'clock. Bob Kravitz at 9. And the winner uh, Saturday of the GMR Grand Prix in dominant fashion, 16-second victory, Alex Pillow. And that starts a week, Mark. Uh, well, I guess I'm a little premature with this. Jake, we can get into this maybe on the other side. I almost called Alex Pillow an Aaron McLaren driver. Maybe that'll be next year, right? You're a year early. Uh, but the uh, McLaren Quartet the rest of the week, right? Tony Kana, what what's the order on that, Mark? Kanan, Pato, Felix. Let me pull it up real Rossi. quick. Rossi. Something along those lines here. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, as we get into Qualls this weekend. Yeah. Pelo today, Kanan tomorrow, Rosenquist on Wednesday, Pato Award on Thursday, Rossi on Friday. You know, uh, Rosenquist, since he's from Sweden, should we all bring in Swedish fish on whatever day he's on? Do we all need to bring in, or can someone just one bring it? Do you want me to bring in a big yeah, old bag I think of them? Swedish pass- fish is so overrated. I do too. I had a buddy that was obsessed with them back in the day. How about the Swedish chef? Do you want to play the Swedish chef? Dorgy Borg. I was still hoping for the husky chocolate from Eric. Dorgy Borg. Husky chocolate, by the way, now making a spritzer. Really? Yeah. It's quite the, the hus- <laughs> quite the alternative. <laughs> they are. Uh, they're changing the paint scheme. 
of his car, I believe, for the 500 from the Husky Chocolate to the new Spritzer color. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's not going to be the red and white that we saw last year? It's like, um, it's a lighter, not pink, but it's it's like a more faint red with white and then, yeah. I'm just telling you. Chocolate tint or flare to the Spritzer? I don't know if it has chocolate in it or not. I, I I think it's like the husky answer to white. I don't. I'm assuming that was a missed opportunity by us. I'm not Monday. sure if it's. It. I'm not sure if it's an alcohol or if it's just like a seltzer water. A little bit of an overcast start to this Monday. Some overnight rain doesn't look like anything too crazy from a rain standpoint today, but overnight into tomorrow possibly a little bit chillier. By the way, to start this Monday morning than what we've been used to here over the last week. You're listening to Kevin Aquari right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Quite the dominance from Alex Pillow on Saturday. It was a 16-second victory for the American Legion car. Led 52 of 85 laps. He's going to join us coming up here at 9.30. Jake, it is one of those races where you only get one yellow, what, first, hell, it was like the third lap, something like that. And after that, it was, I'd say, rather uneventful at the top of the order yeah i would agree with that there were a lot of lead changes but part of that was weird cycling just in terms of the different race strategies that took place i thought if you were to uh tip the cap to a couple of drivers that had really good days that perhaps we didn't talk about because they didn't win the race obviously um solid day for graham rahal who had an incident at no fault of his own that i think punctured a tire or he had a tire go low and had to come in like right off the get-go shuffled him to the back clawed his way back towards running towards the front uh same for scott dixon had a pretty solid day in just kind of knowing uh where to put the car and and what to do with it but uh arrow mclaren continue to show their strength but it's the guy that may be driving for them next year and it's not yet alex Pillow that gets the win tomorrow now everything shifts to the oval practice getting underway at nine o'clock tomorrow morning their ovals and uh or excuse me veterans um able to go out from 9 until 11.15 tomorrow morning. Then from 1 to 3, it's the finishing of the refresher courses and rookie orientation. I think everybody's done with that, though. 3 to 6 is the all-skate tomorrow. So busy day tomorrow getting things underway. Yeah, keep an eye on the weather. Yeah, Yeah, it sounds like some rain potentially overnight. Gates do open at 8 o'clock tomorrow for the first day here on the Oval in May. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday was the Marlins over the Reds 3-1. Dodgers over the Padres 4-0. Red Sox were beaten by the Cardinals 9-1. Cute fella on the short end against Pittsburgh 4-0. Indianapolis Indians 15-3 winners over the St. Paul Saints. Speaking of the 15, that seems like a lot of runs. Uh, One fewer than what the Minnesota Twins got over Mark's Cubs yesterday. 16-3-21. Mark quickly swooshed out of that. Three Vikings field goals and a touchdown and extra points there. Typical NFC North matchup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, We're down to four in the NBA. Out west tomorrow night, we're going to get underway with game one. It'll be the number one seed Nuggets taking on the number seven seed Lakers. 8.30 tip there on ESPN. And then Wednesday, we will get the first game of the Eastern Conference Finals. Both of these matchups, rematches from the bubble a few years back. It'll be the Celtics winning game seven yesterday behind a pretty remarkable performance from Jason Tatum. They will take on the Miami Heat, just the second eight seed in NBA history to be playing in a conference finals. Again, that one is also at 8.30. Eric Spolstra, 15 years as coach of the Heat, and this is his seventh conference finals. How about the fact Monty Williams is out as the head coach of the Phoenix Suns? So I, Did I see that right? It's the 
The teams that have finished with the best record in the NBA over the last six years, none of the coaches are still around? I, I think that's right. I mean, there have been like... Budenholzer, of course, got fired. Yeah. I, in addition to that, how many coaches that Kevin Durant has had have been fired within like a year of getting Kevin Durant? I, I'm just saying for what that's worth. Yeah, I don't. Steve Kerr, the only one standing there? Um yeah, they're probably going to fire him because they didn't win. They didn't go to the conference finals, right? Boy, that was an ugly performance in Game Six. I mean, I get it was on the road. Clay Thompson just shot it terrible all playoffs long, but we didn't get much drama in like the Warriors trying to go to a seventh. You're right. We didn't, get, you know, obviously it went to seven yesterday with Celtics and Sixers, but that matchup, um, you know, after the first half. Didn't live up to it. And one other basketball note, Mackenzie Mbako, a 6'8 combo forward out of New Jersey, a top 10 consensus recruit in the class of 23, originally a Duke commit, opened his recruiting back up, chose Indiana over the weekend over Kansas. So he is scheduled to arrive in Bloomington, uh, at least as a player this fall. He might already be there. I'm not sure. On the other side, tomorrow night is a big, big night in the NBA, particularly for the Indiana Pacers. We'll explain more. Doug Bulls, 8 o'clock. Alex Plo, 930. Listen to Kevin Aquari right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You know, Kevin, it's interesting when you talk about the the NBA draft lottery. We haven't talked much about you know, the lottery is something that the NBA draft lottery that the Pacer fans have kind of become accustomed to not being a part of, right? I mean, this is like an annual rite of passage, I guess, if you are doing radio in Orlando or even Oklahoma City, but Yeah, this is new for us. It is. And but the reality is, I, you know, listen, Victor Webamyama appears to be an absolutely trajectory changing player. I mean, a seven foot five guy that can put the ball in the wing and is two steps from the basket at any time and can pull up and hit from three, assuming he stays healthy. It looks like he is going to be, you know, a, an absolutely generational level talent. But for the Pacers, they have a, they're in a unique situation because I, I do think that unlike the other teams that they would be contending with for ping pong balls, sure, you, you would love to get Webb and Yama. Uh, anybody would love to get him. But for the Pacers, I think that that as long if they can get in the top five, I think they might be in decent shape because what they need, they have a very specified need. You know, some of the teams that are going to be vying for a, a top five pick are simply going to go best player available. So Webb and is obviously number one. And then I, I think Scoot Henderson probably is the consensus number two. And then after that, it just comes down to getting the best wing available. And I think they can get a really good one, even if they if they go as low as like five. They're still going to get a player for it. But that's absolutely, would you agree, they have one glaring need, and that is a wing defender slash score. Yeah, the defensive mindset is something that we've talked about a, a, a lot. Um, just to go over the pick odds 
real quick, Jake. That they cannot draft five or six, by the way. Um, they can draft one, two, three, or four, and they can draft seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. That's just based off how the odds and basically the pick order. You decide one, two, three, and four based off the lottery, and then once you get through the top four, then it goes in reverse order of uh, the worst records of last season. So it's around a seven percent chance for each of the first four picks. So I mean, you have a I think it's nearly a thirty percent chance at a top four pick. I mean that is a that's a nice number. Um, and then the most likely selections, of course, I think it's about a nineteen percent pick or a nineteen percent chance at seven. A 35% chance at 8, 13% chance at 9. So those are certainly the ones that are a little bit more in reality. We've mentioned this before, but each of the last five years, the team that has entered lottery night with the seventh best odds, like the Pacers do, have all moved up. Uh, You had the Pelicans move all the way up to number one to take Zion Williamson, but you've even had teams move again into that top four. And I think that is worth bringing up, Jake, because... This time last year, I don't think there was much discussion at all about trading the lottery pick. I think it was very much the thought was, you need to find a player and kind of pair that player up on a similar uh, time frame cycle with Tyrese Halliburton. Whereas now, and some of this is Kevin Pritchard's words, and obviously it helps when Tyrese Halliburton ascended to the all-star level and Benedict Matherin showed that he belonged in the NBA... Now, all of a sudden, you're a little bit more open-minded to, well, sure, you could draft another young guy and you can try and hit with a lottery pick, and that makes a lot of sense. But also, you have some flexibility to where, all of a sudden, if the Pacers end up with a top-four pick, if you throw that into some trade discussions, teams are going to be obsessed with that. Yeah, Because there are a lot of teams that have mortgaged a ton of picks, they don't have future first-round picks, and they might look at whatever, oh my gosh, with a third pick we could get Scoot Henderson or Brandon Miller, they might be absolutely just enamored with that. Granted, so could the Pacers. So I think that's something that I'm watching out for tomorrow night is, I mean, you have a 30% chance at one of the first four picks, and if you're up there, you obviously can spend it yourself, or that is a pretty darn enticing trade chip, particularly for a team that has you know two other first-round picks, albeit very late. In round one. So, um, again, it's just less than a 7% chance at Webb and Yama for number one. Um, 29% chance at the top four. If you are Victor Webb and Yama, your best fit is where? I, I think he's probably a guy that, could, that can fit anywhere, right? I mean, honestly, probably here, right? I think you could make a case the Pacers would be the best fit. I, I If you look at some of the other teams, obviously Oklahoma City. With Shea Gildress Alexander, I mean, yeah, he but is they've got they've got Holmgren. Chet Holmgren. Yeah, but yes, but I, I don't know. I'll believe that when I see here's, it. Here's sort the of thing. thing: Chet Holmgren is Victor Wembanyama light, which means <laughs> one's two hundred and five pounds and the other's one ninety. Right? What about uh, Portland with Damian Lillard? Yeah, they I, are again. I think anywhere, but yeah, I, I guess I just mean like if you put him in there and he lives with up to the guy, hype, almost correct. You know, I mean Dallas. I mean, remember what Dallas did late in the year? Just literally throwing up the white flag. They could have been in the playing game. They wanted to get this lottery pick. Now, their odds aren't great, but all of a sudden, could they climb way up there? You know, the the number one pick in the NBA draft is funny because you think to yourself, like, oh, man, you get the number one pick. Like, here we go. You know, like, this is it. Let me read to you the last, say, 10, okay? After Anthony Davis, which was New Orleans, 
and yes, I guess you could say that Anthony Davis that changed the fortunes of New Orleans because they were able to, you know, use that to parlay into future pieces. But obviously, he moved on. But then Anthony Bennett in Cleveland, obviously, is swinging a miss. Andrew Wiggins for Cleveland. It's kind of mean to uh, the phrase "swinging a miss" to call Anthony Bennett just yeah. a swinging a miss. Fair. Um, Andrew Wiggins to Cleveland. Obviously, you know, elsewhere. Ben Simmons in Philly. Uh, he was posting pictures yesterday mocking the fact they were beaten in the playoffs. Markel Fultz to Philly. Tatum going third in that Markel Fultz-Lonzo Ball draft. is whew. Yeah. DeAndre Ayton to Phoenix. Good player. Zion Williamson for the Pelicans. I, obviously a good player, but at this point, like it almost feels like who knows how you know how often he plays. Anthony Edwards is pretty underrated for Minnesota. Cade Cunningham for the Pistons, okay, but again, health, and then Paolo Banquero. So, you know, it is a mixed bag, quite frankly. It's not necessarily the automatic given slam dunk that people think. You've got three teams that have a 14% chance at number one. Those are the highest odds. It would be the Pistons, it would be the Rockets, and the Spurs. Jake, you mentioned, obviously, Cade Cunningham to the Pistons, the Rockets and the Spurs, Yao Ming, Tim Duncan, David Robinson. Certainly some strong history there, Houston and San Antonio, with what um, happened there. I know some people believe, you know, Webb and Yama, the French background, Tony Parker, San Antonio. I Maybe that's a stretch there. Uh, wouldn't that be quite something? The Spurs are finally in the lottery, and boom, they get Webb and Yama. <laughs> I mean, the Spurs, for a while there, when it came to draft selections, just absolutely had a horseshoe where you most needed it. By the way, here's a great trivia question, which I'll give the answer on the other side when Doug Bowles joins us. You ready? Of number one overall picks in the NBA draft, of all of them, going all the way back to the very beginning, the number one overall selection in the NBA draft, which one had the highest point-per-game average as a rookie? Whew. It's got Indiana. There's an Indiana connection. I'll tell you that. An Indiana tie-in. The tease right there from Jake Query. It is an overcast Monday here in Indy. Again, no track activity today. We'll set you up for the rest of the week. Coming up, Qualls. And uh, the fast, I guess it's the fast 12, and we're bumping one on Sunday. Doug Bowles, the president of the speaker. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Anyway, joins us next here, Kevin Corey. David Burnett was correct, sending me the guests on Twitter. In terms of the number one overall selection in the NBA draft, that of which had the highest single season scoring average as a rookie, was 1961. Walt Bellamy, the pride of Newburgh, North Carolina, and Indiana University for the Chicago Packers, 31.6 a game, narrowly edging out Oscar Robertson, who was at 30 and a half the year before. Those are the two highest single season rookie scoring averages for number one overall selections. Joining us now, by the way, on the Payless Ziggers Hotline, as we turn from the road course to the Oval and getting set for the greatest spectacle in racing, which will take place two weeks from yesterday, the Indianapolis 500. Doug Bowles, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, joins us. Doug, I'm going to begin with this, and it's going to sound like I'm carrying water. That's not my intention. But for the road course of the GMR Grand Prix, my broadcast position is the top of the Southeast Vista. So I am looking out over the Indianapolis Motor Speedway from the southeast corner. 
And about halfway through the race, I, I just kind of had this epiphany in looking across the way at turn four and down. Of course, I can't see the main straight, but I can see the seats in turn one of the oval I'm talking about. And I literally thought to myself, this is the biggest crowd I've seen since the first year that they did this event. Now, were my eyes playing tricks on me? You know, I, I appreciate that you noticed that. So I got a call early during the day from our team as we were trying to look through things and figure out where we were. And we felt like it was definitely stronger than anything uh, since 2017. Um, and then as we looked at things uh, after the event and went through all of our bag sales, you know, because people could still do walk-ups and a lot of the other things that we ended up having the best attendance we've had since the first race. Uh, I think to be really transparent, 2015 would have been a bigger crowd, but 15 and 16 uh, were both plagued by a little rain, so the walk-up wasn't quite the same on those two days as it was over the weekend for us. So it did end up being the second largest, although I think had weather been nice in 15 and 16, they might that those two might have eclipsed this one. But yeah, it was a great event. And approximately, what well, what is that number, Doug? So we are closing in on uh, 50,000. We were a tick. Uh, we were right at 45,000 last year, and I haven't gotten the official, official number yet. It's over 48,000. Um, I was hoping it'd be a little closer to 50 by the time I get the official number this morning. But, but uh, we had about 70,000 people over the weekend. Uh, right, right around 20,000 people showed up on Friday, and then uh, a little over two and a half times that on, on uh, Saturday. I thought you posted a really cool video late Saturday night of you know a, a heavy load of workers already going to work on you know changing the road course into the oval configuration. And my novice brain just was like, "Wow, does it really take that much work?" And, and why the sense of urgency on Saturday night? Uh, feel free to fill me in on how much work that is and, and why that's needed when you know guys aren't getting back out there until tomorrow. Yeah, well, because you never know when weather's going to be bad. And if you've got lightning, nobody can work. And so in Indiana weather, if it's nice after the race is over, we're going to move as much as many of those massive concrete barriers as we can move and get set so that we can start putting fence panels on them. And you got to connect all those fence, all those. First of all, you got to deconnect all of those concrete barriers and then connect them. So if somebody does impact them, not one barrier that's moving. You're, you're transferring that weight through all the barriers and you got to get fences in. But we've learned our lesson by by procrastinating, and then when weather comes, guys can't go out and work, and then you really get yourself in a situation where uh, you can delay the start of the event. So it's absolutely critical that we get started right away. Doug, I'm going to ask um, kind of an odd question, I realize. Doug Bowles is our guest because I hate even jinxing anything with weather conversation, right? But uh, somebody asked me this. I think it's a good question. With tomorrow being the day that practice gets underway, for the Indianapolis 500 with a variation of schedules. But for the most part, between 9 and 6, there are going to be uh, opportunities to see cars on track. For people that buy like single-day, I don't know if you can buy like single-day badges or or whatever it may be, but if you have bought stuff that is good for only tomorrow, if that's even a reality, and things are completely washed, do, do, does that stuff transfer to the next day? So you can't. You can't buy a single day credential, so that that's not that's not a challenge. Okay. If you buy a if you buy a practice day ticket, your practice day ticket is good for any practice day, so it's not specific to a day. So if you've pre purchased a practice day ticket, 
and you wake up tomorrow morning, you decide you don't want to go, or you wake up tomorrow morning, it's raining, you can use that ticket, um, you know, at some other point in time. So, so that, so there shouldn't be an issue for anybody, especially for these first four, uh, four days of practice beginning tomorrow. Um, that, that it's an impact. The only place where it would impact you is if you're a guest of Jake Query and his fancy suite that he has on Tower in Tower mm-hmm. Terrace, and and you were a guest for tomorrow, and it rains tomorrow. Um, you are likely, you would have to talk to Jake Query to find out if he wants you to come back the next day or if he's already got 80 customers coming the next day. That's right. the only place it might impact you. Well, and, I, and from that I can tell you, for me, you know, hey, the more the merrier. Just come any day you want in my suite, right? It's not really how it works. I, I think that's. I think you. Sh- I think you should. Um, <laughs> and make sure you ask the yellow shirt to point you to, J- to Jake's suite. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where, right. where they where they send you? Yeah. <laughs> Official name: Jason Lloyd Query. On the that's outside right. of that. Um, hey, Doug. For me personally, you know, everybody has their thing in preparation for the Indy Five Hundred. That is like the mental hurdle that like keeps them awake at night. For me, it's navig. It's figuring out making sure that i'm at the track in time on race day and then that i've got a parking spot those are like my two big things but for you personally as the president of the indianapolis motor speedway and with your team as you guys are are bracing for it what is the thing that always feels like the hurdle that is the most difficult to nail down and feel secure about well the the ones that i can't really control the most so traffic because I know that traffic impacts everyone. I, our team, we all like to say, look, we, what makes your race day starts when you leave your house or, your, or, or hotel, or frankly, it starts when you leave your house, even if you live in California. And if anything goes wrong between that time and the time you get to the speedway, and frankly, the time you get back home, it can taint your entire experience. So whether it's a, an airplane that's delayed or a flat tire on your rental car or traffic that's terrible getting in or getting out, I mean, those are... Um, those are the things that, that, that we worry about, but we really can't control. And and one a couple things on traffic. Traffic is, you know, we're the second largest city in the state of Indiana inside the racetrack on race day. So when everybody is trying to get there at the same time or leave at the exact same time, traffic is going to be a challenge. It just is, it's not possible to make it not a challenge. So what we try and do, though, is make it as simple as possible for those 325,000 people. But all it takes is one one accident at one intersection a half a mile from the racetrack, and that impacts everybody, right? Because you have to divert folks. It, it becomes a huge challenge. So that, that one I, I worry about quite a bit. I worry about our gates. I mean, how do we make sure that we're getting everybody in and in, in a timely manner, especially this year with those open gates that metal detectors were sending folks through to make sure that they're safe? And then I worry about weather. Um, not because I wake up every day and wonder if it's going to be nice for the race. I just worry about weather. If severe weather comes in, how do we make sure we give everybody in the, in the grandstands an opportunity uh, to seek shelter or to shelter in place or do whatever they feel most comfortable doing? It's President of Speedway, Doug Bowles. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. We will give away a pair of tickets to the 500 coming up. Um, to close out the show today with the pop quiz, Alex Pillow is going to be with us at 9.30. Doug, looking ahead to this weekend, I believe the format for Sunday is pretty much the same as last year. You're going to have 12 cars that, that could be, you know, or will be, I guess, running for the poll, and then you'll you, you'll bump one. But there's a slight change in the schedule this year, right, for Sunday um, to allow, you know, those engines to cool down a little bit for the for the top guys. Yeah, and and because and because we have 
uh, the bumping opportunity this year, it allowed us really to add some more content on Sunday, where last year we didn't. So last year it was really just about the top 12. Uh, so, so this year it will be about the fast 12 and then um, the, the bumping and then the, and then the final the final six and, and where last year when you were the fast 12 you, you ran and then the fastest six of those ran basically immediately again so this year what we're going to do is we're going to allow those fast 12 to run and then there'll be a break that's long enough that'll give those six cars time to cool down and if you can cool the cars down you can keep the speeds up so we're excited about what what that's going to do and then on the bumping side when folks are bumping when historically when you cross the start finish line for the checkered flag in your qualifying run, you have to pit immediately. Uh, the IndyCar series is going to allow those cars an extra lap to cool down because in their window of qualifying, they're going to get multiple attempts. So that extra lap where they can run, um, you know, really coasting almost as much to get the, get the engine cooled, that'll give them a better opportunity to keep their speeds up as well. So uh, it'll be an interesting qualifying session. I've, I've started to, as somebody who loved whole day being on Saturday and struggled to get used to this, um, over the last few years, I found that I really love this qualifying format, and I think our fans do too. Last year, we had one of our best Sunday qualifying attendances uh, in the last 20 years, and I think that will happen again this year. Doug Bowles, our guest, he's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. He is, of course, the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Doug, I'm curious of this fact, um, and I would assume you have a general idea on this. So this year for the race, and I'm super pumped about this. This doesn't make me unique. This is true for so many people. Um, my buddy Michael from Australia, who you may or may not recall meeting Doug when I was touring him through the Speedway a couple of years ago, pre-COVID, I think. Michael's yeah, coming. He's got. Um, he's bringing seven buddies. So there are eight Australians that are flying here for the 500. They're making a whole weekend of it and taking in the race itself. I'm thrilled about that. And then I got to thinking about it. From a ticket standpoint, do you know roughly – how many states like are represented by people that come to the 500, and how many different countries are represented by fans of the Indianapolis 500? Yeah, so two weeks ago, the last time I asked the question, we were all 50 states um, and 35 countries. So I haven't asked in the last two weeks. So obviously we're not going to add any more states, and we've got all 50 of them. Uh, but we may have added a, a country or two since then. But it's 50 states and 35 countries are, are represented in the grandstands. That's wow. unbelievable. Wait, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Is there like a, I don't know, a continent that's a little bit more uh, centric to those 35 countries than, than others? I would assume, you know, some sort of Central America, South America, but I imagine a good amount of Euro- Europeans as well. Well, historically it had been European that was um, from a continent standpoint. Um, however, with Pado and the popularity of Pado and then with, uh, with it being TK's last race, obviously uh elio um i'm not exactly sure now it's a great question i'm going to ask that one and by next week i'll have an answer for you i love it and you will join us again next monday uh just a couple more again doug bowles with us here the president of the speedway doug uh announcements for this week obviously it's a busy week on track practice wise coming up fast fridays fast friday and then quals but uh any announcements to look out for this week from you guys yeah, that's a great question. I haven't I haven't talked to PR team. I know we're going to announce our pace car driver the beginning of next week, so that'll be um, after we get the field set. So we'll do that one the beginning of next week. We have um, a couple other celebrity announcements to uh, make for sure. The national anthem um, got that sorted. We just need to get it announced. We have a couple of uh, additional celebrities. Um, a couple I'm pretty excited about. I don't know if we're doing those this week or next, um, but those are coming up for sure. 
Doug, when it comes to, and I've appreciated the fact, that just for example, like with the GMR Grand Prix, the transparency of attendance in terms of estimates, I think it's probably impossible to be able to say exactly, but I've always wondered this, you and I've discussed it a little bit, but on race day, let's say that it, let's say that we have a day that is just a beautiful 75 degree clear sky, low humidity, perfect Indianapolis late May day on Sunday race day. So you get walk up if they're still available. And I'm looking out throughout that massive facility, including the people that are in the snake pit that are listening to Shaquille O'Neal, including those that are, you know, on the grounds and in the suites and everything else. Not to the exact, but what is a realistic number, relatively speaking, of what the Indianapolis 500 would host? Well, I think, I mean, obviously in 2016, when we sold it out, we were right at 350,000 total people in the venue. Um, and then last year we were close to uh, 325,000, and we're going to be right in that neighborhood again this year, slightly more. Um, so that's really where, where we where we are. Um, our our walk-up on a traditional walk-up day, if it was a beautiful day, I think you could anticipate somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 12,000 people that didn't didn't have a ticket that decided race day morning they were going to come that would be a that would be a pretty big walk-up back in the day the walk-up used to be a lot a lot larger but the pre-sale was smaller so our fans have gotten to the point where they realize that they they want better seats if they want to make sure they they get to the speedway they're buying earlier than they used to buy um but i would say you'd be in that you know 10 to fifteen thousand range of additional people that would walk up if the day was just a perfect indiana um you know may may afternoon Think about that, Kevin. Nearly half the NFL draft right there to watch the Indianapolis 500. (laughs) Why do you even have to go there? Doug, last one for me as we thankfully move away from that one. Jake and I were actually talking about this. It might have been last week. What's new with that Caesars Lounge? I I think you guys opened this up last year. I I never got to kind of peek my head in there, but like, is there anything new on that front? Can you kind of explain for our audience what the thought process was behind that? Yeah, so last year we experimented with having a having a, a sports betting lounge on property, um, and you know we had, we had, it was a good experiment. The challenge with it was, if you think about, it, especially race day when we have our largest number of people, the vast majority of our customers sits outside of the oval. So to have that inside, it was it was not really easy for people to get to. It worked okay on practice days, um, so we. Uh, um, we went ahead and we've changed that this year into uh, it's really a grab and go. One of the one of our biggest challenges last year was our just our throughput of our concessions, making sure that people were able to pick up a, a coke or a beer or whatever they needed as quickly as possible. Um, so when they when we did that this year, now it's you walk in, it's a it's a the grab and go. So you've got your your Pepsi coolers are full there. You've got beer there. You've got some hot food, just some some stuff you can pick up and take on out with you. And, and this is located exactly where. It is located in the infield, in like behind the pagoda, um, near the what we call you know our plaza stand, our big concession stand in the in the pagoda okay. plaza area. So on the on the south side of the pagoda plaza, it's kind of like right by where we broadcast for Carb Day, right, Jake? Correct. Yeah, close okay. to that. Mm-hmm. Doug, I, I wanted to also um, make people aware of this. I think it's important to reemphasize the last time that we had you on, and I would assume this is something that is still worth mentioning. Uh, you kind of wanted at that time to make clear that people were aware of situations with their prepaid parking, and I would assume that that is still something that people need to be aware of, correct? Yeah, absolutely. We've had a lot of people actually show up in the office with 
with the fake parking passes that they've purchased on um, secondary ticket market platforms and uh, just been trying to help those folks out to make sure that we get them get them sorted with proper with proper parking but uh, that still uh, is a problem so if you're buying if you're buying anything on a secondary platform just know that we can't help you if it's if it's not if it's not real when you show up on race day so if you purchase something there and you're a little concerned about it especially the parking passes because those have just been uh, photocopied basically um you know call the ticket office at 317-492-8500 or come on in the ticket office and we can help you work through that doug any hint on the pace car driver um no uh, no hint on the uh, pace car driver although i think i think you guys in particular will like it mm. Mm. I, i'd consider that a hint jake i do too Jay Corey's brain churning like Alex Blow's <laughs> wheels on Saturday at the Grand Prix. Doug, See, unfortunately, it can't be me because I'm hosting 80 people in the turn two suites, <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't know if your ego would fit in the cockpit either. <laughs> That's right. On that end. Uh, Doug, great stuff with us all month long. Really appreciate it and uh, enjoy, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, looks like pretty good weather the rest of this week. Looking forward to talking on, uh, on Monday of race week. All right, guys. Thanks so much for having me. That is Doug Bowles right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. All right, Jake, your first thought once he said that? My first thought was Halliburton. I, I, that's where I went. That's but where I, I went. But I've heard that, you know, they, there is still, Doug, Doug actually mentioned this last week, that, that there's also an element of driving training or background that, that is Which Oladipo did back in 2018, right, when he yes, did it? so the drivers, if you drive the pace car – there is, uh, I believe it's the Saturday before. So, like when the on Saturday before the race, the field itself, the drivers all go in for the public drivers meeting, and then once that is completed, they get shuttled over to you know downtown for the parade. And while that takes place, I I, I believe this is correct. Then the track itself, since there's nobody there, whoever the pace car driver is goes through a fairly involved, you know, lesson or familiarity with driving the pace car and the speeds and getting onto pit road and that kind of thing. Um, so that does, and for those that are unfamiliar, for the most part, the ceremonial pace car driver does it at the beginning of the race, gets out of the car and does not get back in it. They then have whether it be Oriole Servia or Sarah Fisher, you know, an official an official that does the pace car for the race itself, for the rest of the race. Um, you know, obviously, Eldon Palmer, I mean, in 1971, I believe it was, who was a local car dealer, he, he came screaming down like in, as fast as the field, for crying out loud, down the main straightaway, not literally, but close to, and then locked up the brakes and hit a photographer scaffolding that collapsed and injured some of the photographers and that kind of changed the trajectory of the, the way you know just in terms of the making sure that the driver themselves were prepared trained to know everything that goes into it you think Halliburton saw the rev it up at every home game this year and just got enamored with what the IndyCar presence was right there we should be very clear here we games. have no idea that it's Tyrese Halliburton That's zero simply idea. A guess. simply a guess uh Billy points this out he goes. What about Pat McAfee? McAfee's done it before, though. He not for the Indy Five Hundred. He did it for McAfee. Did it for the GMR Grand Prix a couple of years ago. Uh, so that's possible because he's done it before. 
uh, new father, Pat McAfee. Congrats to him and his wife, Samantha, on their baby girl. Um, so, yeah, we'll uh, wait for that announcement. Uh, we mentioned this earlier. Nothing on the track today. Tomorrow, gates open at 8 o'clock. Practice from 9 to 6. Veterans uh, late morning. And the rookie, like you said, Jake, I mean, is it R.C. Enerson? Is that the only guy left? Correct. From a rookie standpoint, uh, and then the all skate from three to six. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you'll get noon to six each of those three days from a practice standpoint. We'll have Alex Pillow joining us coming up at nine thirty. Bob Kravitz at nine o'clock. Uh, for now, let's do a morning checkdown. We'll begin actually with a little college basketball news for you Indiana fans. Mackenzie Mbako, a 6'8 forward, combo forward out of New Jersey, who is considered to be one of the top 10 high school players in America, originally was a Duke commit, then opened back up his recruiting and said that he was going to be down between Indiana and the Jayhawks of Kansas. And he decided over the weekend that Mike Woodson is the guy he wants to play for. So Indiana now adds to their roster a guy that, when you combine it with the transfer from Oregon and some of the players have Xavier Johnson coming back, not saying that it in totality makes up for what Indiana loses from their roster a year ago, but it certainly softens the blow a little bit. So just kicks the man. That's right. That's exactly what Mike Woodson said yeah. when McKenzie committed. Was happy birthday to Maddie, right? M A T T Y, not my wife there. Uh, Maddie Painter, of course, on that. And yeah, a totally outside of Malik Renew, maybe Caleb Banks, totally different looking front court for the Hoosiers this coming season. Uh, speaking of the hardwood, let's shift over to the NBA. We will have a rematch of the Bubble Conference Finals. It'll be the Nuggets and the Lakers out west. Game one underway tomorrow night. And then in the east, it's going to be the Celtics and the Heat. Uh, Jake, yesterday in game seven, it was competitive for about a half. And then Jason Tatum Man. absolutely took over. And not only just Tatum taking over, how about that third quarter from the Sixers? Yeah, I was, mean, was it 10? Was that the total 10 points? It was a 24-6 to six run at one point, I think, to open up the quarter, and then it just blew the game open. And Philly was just kind of left circling the drain. Joel Embiid with 15 points. 10 points in one quarter of basketball. Tyrese Maxey with 17 total. Jalen Brown had 25. Malcolm Brogdon 12 for the Celtics, who I think, although Denver is really good, but I think Boston, um, if, if Tatum stays this hot, I think Boston's personally the favorite to win it all but we shall see the warriors blow it up or they're gonna try one more time i think the warriors probably try one more time right boy that clay thompson effort was that was a bit alarming obviously draymond green some issues there not only outside but certainly inside of that locker room uh, with jordan Poole didn't play great either uh, gonna be interesting to see how golden state reacts the first time in steve kerr's coaching history with that team that they have lost a western conference series they had won 19 in a row. Uh, moving over to the Diamond Major League Baseball. Uh, the Indianapolis Indians are going to be at home tomorrow. They've not been at home in quite a while, so uh, you'll get to uh, see some action at Victor Field. They won over St. Paul 15-3 to yesterday. Speaking of football-looking scores, how about the Cubs? They lose 16-3 to <laughs> to the Minnesota Twins. Um, the Reds had a decent weekend, but they did lose to the Marlins. 3-1. Speaking of double-digit runs, the Rangers over the Athletics 11-3, and there were also 11 people there. I haven't looked the 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 Cardinal swept the, the announced off, attendance for the Oakland A's game. Where would I find that? They, they don't show it on the box score. That's on, yeah, that's on MLB.com. I'll, I'll MLB.com. Okay, I was looking at ESPN.com. 
Let's check MLB.com. What's our? I'm going to say that the announced attendance seventy two eighty three. That's my guess. Boy, the the Reds have hovered around seven or eight a few times. I'm going to say less than that. Think so? Seven or eight thousand. Yeah. Okay, hold on. I mean, at this point, you're just lying. Yeah. <laughs> we just all should find a passion lying. in life like you have about attendance numbers. I don't have any passion about it. I, I have just, the announced just, attendance. I just, just like brought it up to Doug Bowles about the NFL draft. The NFL, anytime they mention the draft, always throws out a number. And, and again, I just maintain the absurdity of it. There is zero chance, zero, and I'm saying zero here, zip, nada, nilch, none, that the NFL draft in Kansas City, Missouri had doubled the amount of people than what you will see at the Indianapolis 500 in two weeks. I thought you, now you're referencing the Kansas City draft. I thought you were all about the Nashville draft. Well, Nashville, 635. Mark, what was your predictions for the attendance? What did I say, 78 I'll something? I'll say 4,500. They say it is uh, 7,793. Come on. B-S. Come on. That's so sad. Come on. What, what was I off? By 52? It's so sad. Do you guys ever thank yourself that you have access to this sort of just an amazing calculator? There's a reason we drank PBR last week. (laughs) When the Reds have announced numbers that are similar to that this season, that is so pathetic. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously like the prepaid attendance, right? Of people like, you know... Even that seems high. Season ticket holders are like gym memberships. I've always wondered at a gym, Lifetime Fitness, LA Fitness, you know, whatever, uh, Planet Fitness, whatever else... The number of people that you see in the gym represent what percent of people that are actually having a monthly dues withdrawal off their checking account and completely forget they even have a membership. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume like the lower bowl over GameBridge has got to be 90-some percent corporate. Correct. That's exactly right. Exactly. So they say like, you know, oh, there were 17,000 there. I was like, really? I was there. It looked like 12. Well, they sold 17,000 tickets and 4,000 people were like, yeah, I can't make it tonight. Yeah. You sold a huge percentage of that in October, whenever that right that cash is. Uh, the Grand Prix from over the weekend, Alex Pillow, dominant 16-second victory. You really do not see that. Jake, I guess I was surprised, too, because Qualls is one of the closest we've seen. Like, the top four or five guys, yep. super, super close, but different strategies, and Alex Pillow, uh, a dominant, dominant performance. And we will be able to ask him what exactly was the difference between qualifying and the race conditions when he joins us, by the way. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. One hour from right now, Alex Pillow will be joining us on the program. Led 52 of 85 laps behind him. Pato Award continues, probably the second place finishes that uh, I would guess he's a little frustrated by. Alexander Rossi, Christian Lungard, Felix Rosenquist. So very good day for Aero McLaren at the GMR Grand Prix. As Jake said, Bob Kravitz at 9, Alex Pillow at 9.30, and we'll give away a pair of tickets to the 500 coming up to round out the show with our pop quiz. And Mark, that is all week long? All week long. All week long. All right, you listen to Kevin Aquari right here on an overcast start to this week in Indy. You know, we don't get started uh, with the NBA Conference Finals until tomorrow. Again, it'll be the West, uh, Lakers, and Warriors. By the way, I love these 8.30 tip times out West for the entire Conference Finals. That's beautiful. Um, so, I think it's kind of fitting tonight. Um, and Mark, you just brought this up. We're going to get a Game 7 in the NHL. Yep. Cracking at the Stars. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 8 o'clock. That will be Game 7. Last night we had the Knights in Edmonton, correct? Yes. Get it done? Mm-hmm. So are we ensuring once again that it's going to be an American team that wins the Cup? 
Uh, that would be correct, right? Yeah, I believe all the Canadian teams are gone now. Did you guys see the um, the drought for the New York sports teams right now? So the last New York the sports team to win a championship would have been, I would assume, the well, would it be the Giants or the Yankees? Would have been right here in our hometown. Is that the last one? So if you combine the amount of seasons for the Knicks, the Nets, the Rangers, the Islanders, the Yankees, the Mets, the Giants, the Jets, those eight teams, 92 combined seasons without a title, saw that it was the longest New York drought for championships across those four sports leagues uh, in history. Well, there's a reason why they were going nuts when the Knicks won a game (laughs) against uh the Atlanta Hawks a year ago. The Knicks are bad! Which one of you guys can tell me, and and you know what, right now, I'm willing to do this, Uh, not a six-pack, not a 12-pack, case. I'll I'll buy an entire entire, entire case of PBR Mm -hmm. to either one of you. Without looking, Mark, I don't shut down your Google. Kevin, shut down your Google. Tell me the last... And I need year and franchise. Last Canadian team to win the, the Stanley Cup. Canadians in 72. Maple Leafs in like 68. One of you is half correct. Mm. That's usually how it goes. <laughs> uh, the, uh, 19, the 1993 Montreal Canadiens, the last Stanley Cup champion from Canada. Mm. Boy, Mark and I were way, way off, off on the year. Who was the last Canadian team to play in the Stanley Cup Finals? I, I feel like it would have been the Maple Leafs, or is that... I don't know. No, Maple Leafs has been a while, I believe. So I'm going to say... The Senators? The Canucks? I'll say the Edmonton was. Also the Canadians in 2021. They were the first oh, since the Canucks in 2011. <laughs> there goes much, our hockey knowledge. Shows you how much we, we follow hockey there. Yeah, 92 combined seasons for the New York teams. Uh, again, Giants obviously winning that Super Bowl. Right here in Indianapolis, the last time they got it done. Uh, was that Friday night the Heat beat the Knicks? That feels like forever ago, doesn't it? Yeah, the NBA's got that weird cycle when you have the weekend to break up when the big games are. I don't believe either the Eastern or the Western Conference will play this weekend, though. The NBA, they kind of take on this weird schedule. Um, I guess they will have a Saturday game. The the Heat are, it, are are fascinating to me because Boston clearly has the best one two combo I, left. I I mean I I realize Denver's well I, mean, I shouldn't say that LeBron and Anthony Davis are pretty darn good. Jokic and Murray. Jokic and Murray are pretty darn good. Um, but Tatum and Brown, if they're both on, are so I shouldn't say the best, but they're they're, they're a lot to handle. And, and you know, Marcus Smart's a really good player. Brogdon's played well for them, but Miami is such a balanced team. I, it, it really is fascinating. Eric Spolster can flat out coach, and they can do the thing about Miami. I think that allows them. This is why the Miami Heat, and I've watched a fair amount of the Miami Heat over the last couple of years. The thing that the Miami Heat do really well and probably better than any franchise is between Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and even like Tyler Hero when he's healthy, or, or for that matter, like Struess and Robinson. The Heat have the greatest versatility of fashion of play. If if the Heat go out in a game and you have designed to shut down Jimmy Butler, they can run their offense through Bam Adebayo, and it's a totally different look than when they're running it through Jimmy Butler. And then if you adjust to Bam Adebayo, 
they can then run their offense through Butler or even through their like roll wings and it looks totally different than the other two. They have several different looks that they can do and maybe they don't do any of them as a 10 but they do all of them as an 8. And it's just really difficult over the course of a seven. That's why they have been so good the last few years in seven-game series. Because if you just had to beat them once, it's not so hard to do. But beating them four times is difficult because it's literally four different teams every time you play them. And and Spolstra is remarkable at coming up with game plans that they weather storms better than anybody in basketball in terms of just like being down eight in the third quarter and then chipping away and getting the lead. And then all of a sudden that one point lead becomes three, becomes five. And next thing you know, there's two minutes to go and you're like, well, wait a minute, they're up seven. It's truly fascinating to watch, but it just feels like Boston has arrived and this is when Jason Tatum kicks the door down. It's kind of shocking to me to see how big of a favor Boston is in this series. I mean, I would definitely pick Boston, but I was stunned to see the, the discrepancy in that. Uh, and the other thing, you just wake up on this Monday morning, you think to yourself, God, can you imagine how the 76ers and their fan base are feeling today? I mean, I mean, the, the insult to injury is Jimmy Butler has made it to two conference finals since he was on your team. And you would like to think you have a more talented team, certainly a few more talented individuals than what Miami's put together. Um, and I mean, they had a lead, what, midway through the fourth quarter at home the other night with a chance to clinch. And Jason Tatum was awful through the first three quarters the other night in that game six in Philly. And then just that flip of a switch there with Tatum and then the big run to end that game. I don't think Embiid took a shot, I want to say. It was the final five minutes of Game 6. And once you go on the road for Game 7, now you're just hoping and praying. And that's why I've always felt this way about about those Game 6s. And obviously, what the Lakers did to the Warriors would totally debunk this thought. But I think it's a little more maturation from a LeBron James, Anthony Davis standpoint than James Harden and Joel Embiid. I always feel like there's so much pressure on that home team in Game 6 if they have the opportunity to clinch. Because you know if you go on the road for Game 7, the chances of winning that game are minuscule. Right. And so I just have felt this just incredible burden. And then if you're the Sixers, you've lost five straight I mean, conference I mean, semifinals. You have the constant, you know, Embiid, Harden, Tobias Harris, what's the future? I mean, Doc Rivers, 3-1 lead. Like, all of those storylines, um, they just obviously wilted at the end of Game 6 there. And then yesterday, they hung in there for a half before uh, Tatum put together one of the more historic performances we've ever seen. Where does um, Monty Williams end up? Well, for a brief second, I thought he could be the Notre Dame head coach back in the day. I think he's going to end up in Milwaukee, right? Yeah, is this just so much new owner-based? I don't know. It's very bizarre. Like Matt, I mean, Matt Ishbia walked in there and had the big trade for Durant. I mean, Monty Williams was like the he was the toast of the coaching world two years ago, right? And by all accounts, like beyond well liked, totally. Um, he's been a Team USA, so that aspect to knowing guys around the league. Yeah, you would think Milwaukee. Would be should you they just trade Budenholzer? That's right for Monty Williams. There did I, I mean, see Mark Jackson's name thrown around? Yeah, he, Mark Jackson is a candidate in Milwaukee, um, but he doesn't know Nikola Jokic or didn't put him on his ballot. Is that it? Mark Jackson's an interesting cat. I'll simply say that. Um, 
Let me tell you one other thing I was thinking about in the world of sports over the weekend. We were talking about the Oakland Athletics and their attendance. I'm going to give you old guy yelling at clouds unpopular opinion here, okay? When I was a kid, I know that it's dangerous to start any statement with that, but I used to love – I was just talking to somebody the other day about baseball and the popularity of Major League Baseball and players and things like that. I think baseball cards were a big part of that, Kevin. I mean, I think probably true with you as a kid as well. Sure. When you collected baseball cards, it helped you know who players were in teams and everything else. Um, but one of the things I think that has hurt baseball – I used to love when I was a kid in the newspaper. I would always follow the batting the, the batting races. You know what's Tony Gwynn batting? What's Wade Boggs batting? Those were, they were always the top two guys in the AL and the NL. But um, I just looked, for example, I just went to MLB.com and I'm like, I'm going to pull up the stats, see who's leading Major League Baseball in batting average. Now, Mark, you follow baseball avidly, right? Uh, yeah, I, Kevin, I, you do as well. I'm going to give you in Major League Baseball here. I just literally went to stats, individual batter stats. Number one, Matt Chapman, Toronto Blue Jays. I'm going to give you the stat category. I want you to tell me what it stands for. BBE. Boy, I thought you were going somewhere else with that one at first there. <laughs> um, Family program. BBE. Okay, next one. LA with a with a with a percentage next to it. Los Angeles. I. I Okay, next one. Next category. SWSP percentage. Something like swing something? Slugging. Okay, next one. Exit velocity. Max average. FB-LD. I feel like the exit velocity is very popular. And GB. Big hits, they put those up. Games played is GP. No, GB. Oh, GB. Games back. Okay, next. Distance. Max average and average HR. Average home run distance, I guess. Then hard hit, 95-plus percentage and percentage swing. Then the next category, barrels, BRLS slash BBE percentage. Yeah, I have no idea what any of that means. So here's the thing. And this is like on their basic page? This is just in the basic, yeah. We don't go like average home run, Literally, Literally, I just just went to MLB and went to stats, and that was the first thing that came up, okay? So my point being, I get it. The baseball, nuanced baseball fan, exit velocity and rotation off bat and all this stuff, I, the baseball nerds love it. Yeah, but it's like, you know, push to pass in IndyCar. Correct. Like it's out-nuanced the average fan. And the average fan try, is like, look, I just kind of wanted to know what somebody's batting average is. And immediately, our attention span today is so short. When it comes to IndyCar, Kevin, I know the next two weeks – is the greatest attention towards IndyCar in this town that we're going to have at any point in the year, okay? Oh, times 100. And if somebody said to me, hey, Jake, who's going to get pull? And if I said, well, you know, I'm not I'm not absolutely sure because, I mean, the, the straight-line speed of the Ganassis are unbelievable in the trap speed shoots, but if you, you factor in the downforce and then, you know, they're going to go with that .9 wing adjustment on the rear, and if they, you know, Dixon likes a little more tire pressure in the front left, and I think that's going to give them a little bit more push in the corners, and that could be to an advantage over Alex Pillow that likes his car just a little bit more free, but if they take that free out and he gets high, he might be able to catch a draft in the short shoot that, that allows him for a little more push in three that gives him an advantage. That person is immediately going to go, what the hell are you talking about? Exactly. I, I don't exactly. think on the telecast, though, we, we are getting 
outside of Exit Velocity, of all the ones you named, I don't think we're getting that on like the telecast. Uh, but but just in you general, have to seek it out. But the, in general, the discussion of baseball now, like when I go to, if I turn on one of the the, the baseball shows, Major League Baseball, you know, like Are ESPN or whatever. Shows? Well, I mean, like tonight baseball tonight or those things, or like the pregame on a national broadcast. Like that's the kind of stuff they're talking about, and it doesn't speak to me. It speaks over me, and I'm like, yeah, okay. I I, I just wanted to know. Who's batting 300? You know what I mean? Like it just, for whatever reason, amongst any other sport, baseball absolutely has nuanced itself and pigeonholed itself into, it's almost like it's trying to become a niche sport. Analytics overload? Yes, that's exactly, that is, and I listen, I'm the first to admit but I think there are more people probably that are listening to me right now that are saying, you know what? I thought I was the only one. I didn't want to admit at cocktail parties that I don't understand the the the, the exit velocity percentage and the, I mean, what's the one that besides velocity, there's another like the bat, the exit angle. I, really? Launch angle. Launch angle, whatever it is. I Really? Th- that must be what the LA is here. So this Matt Chapman has a launch angle of 16.9, and Aaron Judge's is 18.8. Uh, okay. Hall of Fame numbers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Joey Gallo has a, a launch angle of 28.9. What the hell does that mean? Yeah, I, I think it's one of these, um, it's one of the awkward situations. I guess we've turned it into an IndyCar analogy of, again, who are you trying to cater to? You know, are, are you trying to just reach deeper into your niche group and keep them happy or keep them whatever up to date? Or are you trying to broaden your horizons and put more butts in seats? Yeah. And I think that's obviously IndyCar is trying to walk that balance right now. And part of it is why you're doing the 100 Days to Indy and things like that. Um, I, I, I will say the Major League Baseball broadcast that I watch, I don't feel like I'm getting analytics poured down my throat Man, to this I- degree. I, but I'm not seeking out baseball tonight in MLB. Hell, I don't even get MLB TV. And I, I really don't watch pregame. I don't watch postgame. I mean, my, my baseball consumption is very much within a game. And within those games, sure, you see an exit velocity. You're going to see a big home run. And you know they'll flash up kind of a, this is how it compares to other home runs during the year. But I'm not getting a whole lot more than that. I mean, And, and maybe it's the red, so maybe they're not here's another enough one. to get Expected that. statistics. Nothing drives me crazier than this. Well, you know, I mean, I, I don't even know if we're going to watch that game because the analytics say that such has a 68.2% chance of winning. Uh, okay. Then why do they play the game? It drives me nuts. I, I, again, I, I, I realize I'm probably, I don't know. I just feel like, I guess, Kevin, what I'm saying is you're right. You don't seek it out. But like in trying to just read about like a player now, they get, there are so many nuanced, like, you know, I, I was curious. I'm like, what kind of season is Bryce Harper having? Because he's a obviously an unbelievable talent, and he's an excitable guy. And he was involved in a incident the other day where he, you know, he's kind of pulled a George Brett coming out of the dugout, upset about something. And I'm like, what, what kind of season is he having? Well, I can't even find like just what his batting average is because I've got to sort through like what are all these different stats. I don't even know what they are. I just want to see how many home runs he has and what's he's batting. What he's batting. That's it. And I'm like, good lord, what what is all this stuff? Uh, Alex Pillow at 9:30. Bob Kravitz here in about 10 minutes. Kevin Quarry. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
on a Monday. Bob Kravitz going to join us here in a few minutes, and then Alex Pillow at 8.30, or at 9.30, excuse me. Dominant performance from Pillow this weekend. You know, I'd like to talk mostly with Pillow about Barcelona. Will you fill us in again on the drama, on the mclaren Ganassi drama? That was a huge storyline last year. So, in short, Alex Pillow, who is a... Obviously, he's been a rising talent and a much-arrived talent that won the NTT IndyCar Series Championship for Chip Ganassi. Um, midway through the season last year, it was announced that Alex Pillow would be driving this season for Aero McLaren. That was announced essentially via a tweet by Alex Pillow. And very shortly thereafter, Chip Ganassi Racing said, um, not so fast, you're under contract with our team. Palo said, no, I'm, I'm not under contract. My contract expi- is expired. And Alex Palo's contract had a one-year extension, what's called an employer option, meaning that it was written into the contract that if Ganassi wanted to extend the contract, Palo was contractually bound to honor that. And so there was some back and forth, and this is while he was still driving for Chip Ganassi, Palo had switched representative companies that was working his contract, and they appeared to be naive as to the language and the fine print in the contract, and then had to go back and go, you know what, you're right. So he is driving for Chip Ganassi this year with the understanding by everybody that at the end of this year, even if Ganassi wants to resign him, that he probably has a ride waiting for him at Aero McLaren. But that has yet to be determined. And they instead of working together and winning races, um, but in a kind of awkward fashion. So basically, going to Arrow would be more of an F1 thing, potentially down the road, more Yeah, I, I think that's probably, you know, Arrow McLaren, for those that are unfamiliar, is a team that, that runs an IndyCar, but also has a division within Formula One. So that would be a more automatic step into formula one if not driving essentially for for mclaren in formula one like at a testing level or whatever it may be um and that that by all in by all account that was the appeal to arrow mclaren but then again you look at arrow mclaren and the way Pato award alexander rossi and felix rosenquist are driving right now clearly that team is very stout in the indycar side as well yeah arrow uh i i think this to the common fan right now jake McLaren is having the type of season or I would say the last 12 months that you're used to maybe like Penske having. Correct. Whereas That's Pen- correct. Penske's no longer Penske. I mean, they, they've put together, they, they bring fast cars and they've got, the thing I like is between Rossi, Pato, and Rosenquist, kind of three varying styles that, that all are working well with one another on and off the track. And it's worked out well for them. Those three will join us Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. We'll have their fourth driver in the 500, uh, Tony Kanaan, tomorrow. Again, Alex Pillow going to join us coming up at 9.30. On the other side, it'll be Bob Kravitz, and then we'll round things out today. Pushing the pop quiz a little bit deeper into the show. Uh, a pair of tickets, the Indy 500, coming up on the pop quiz. But Bob Kravitz next here, 9 o'clock hour. All right, 9 o'clock hour here. Kevin Aquarius it's going to be a busy 9 o'clock hour. Bob Kravitz in a few. Alex Pillow at 9.30. And then, as we'll do with the pop quiz all week long, a pair of tickets to the 500. What Doug Bull say with us earlier? It, he's expecting 
over three hundred twenty-five thousand. Correct. I think three thirty is a fair number. So three fifty is what he said for the hundredth, um, and I believe the expectation is this will be the biggest crowd since the hundredth. Pretty impressive, and I know that you know there was. I think a lot of people had the concern, myself included, uh, of what would happen after the one hundredth. Would the attendance drop? And kudos to them for seeing to it that it is not. Uh, Bob Kravitz is with us here from the Athletic. Significantly, I should say. He joins us now. Bob, I don't believe you had much of a racing background before arriving to Indy a couple decades ago. Um, Do you have a favorite Indy 500 story, Indianapolis Motor Speedway story you've written over the past 20 years? You know, talking to Mario Andretti about 50 years since he won uh, here at Indy, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Sitting and drinking bourbon uh, with uh, Alexander Rossi and writing about him. You know, my my, uh, memories are not so much, you know, a spin and win or that kind of thing or anything from the race itself. It's what I find interesting is the month or the couple of weeks leading up to the race and some of the things I've gotten a chance to do. So that those are the ones that kind of stick with me. Bob, I have always said, and maybe I've even said this to you on the air before, but you would be a perfect person to ask this because you grew up in the Long Island area, if I'm not mistaken, but in New York, you were an yeah. Islanders fan. I have always felt that the Indianapolis 500 and open wheel racing on ovals in particular is very similar to professional hockey. If you grew up in a market that has it, you really enjoy it, but it's nuanced enough that the outsider that doesn't grow up with it kind of wonders what all the hub hub is about. That's exactly right. You know, I remember telling uh, our friend, the late Robin Miller, you know, Robin and Kurt Cavan and all those guys helped me quite a bit in the early years when I had absolutely no idea what was going on as opposed to now, which is have a general idea of what's going on. And like I said to, to Robin, yes, you know, I grew up with hockey. It's in my blood. Uh, you know, I, if I have, if there's, you know, something, if Ted Lasso is on and a hockey game is on, I'm watching a hockey game. That's how serious I am about it. But look, if, if racing isn't in your blood, like most of the kids that I grew up with out in New York, uh, you just don't get it. You know, our idea of motorsports is taking a cab down Fifth Avenue in Manhattan and watching them try to uh, avoid uh, major crashes. That's that, that, that's our idea of motorsports. It's Bob Kravitz. He's with us here from The Athletic. Bob, tomorrow night, um, one yeah. NBA franchise is going to have things shift a whole lot for them if the ping pong balls bounce the right way. You know, since the lottery has changed how it works, I mean, now you've seen teams. You've seen teams in the Pacers position uh, with the Pelicans sure. go from seventh to first. I guess the question that I will ask you is, do you think it's like a foregone conclusion? And obviously it probably depends on what happens tomorrow night. Do you think it's a foregone Conclusion, the Pacers spend this pick on a rookie, or do you think this is something that could and might be moved here via trade? No, I think they I think they spend on a rookie. If they do anything, they, uh, they try to move up uh, with some of the other picks that they have. But this is such a, such a good draft that I can't imagine a lot of teams would be real uh, enthusiastic about trading those picks. I think they stay where they are. There's a couple of kids who fit the bill perfectly. Whitmore, uh, Walker. Um, they, they've got there's some power forwards out there who are exactly what 
what the Pacers need at this point. So I think they're mostly inclined to uh, stand still and take whatever they get, and hopefully they get some good luck tomorrow night. Any um, thoughts on what Zach Eady would need to hear here at the Combine coming up this week or the rest of the month to keep his name in the draft? Yeah, I, I think he needs to find out whether he can hang defensively because you saw with uh, some teams that play small ball, uh, you know, with Penn State, and then, of course, with Fairleigh Dickinson, they run him into pick and rolls constantly, and he just doesn't have the foot speed to keep up unless he's, you know, in drop coverage. And so I, I, I just I think Zach has to find out whether he can be uh, be a guy who would – would, would, would make a difference defensively. Um, you know, I mean, look, 20 years ago, he's a top-five pick 25 years ago. But in the, the way the game is played now, guys, you know, there's really not a place for him, uh, a significant place for him or for uh, Trace Jackson Davis. So I'll be, I'll be really interested to see what, uh, what Zach decides. You know, as I wrote a couple weeks ago, he really doesn't have any bad choices because he's making – pretty good money at Purdue as well so uh, I, I tend to think he comes back I, you know that's just a total guess on my part but I got a, I got a feeling he comes back uh, I don't think he can improve his stock measurably but I think I think talking to him after the Fairley Dickinson game I got the sense that he was going to look at it and listen but that's not exactly what he wants to do. I think he wants to come back to Purdue and enjoy another year in front of the best fans and probably the best fans in the nation. And Bob, you know what's funny about that is, and I get it for Purdue fans. You know, just what an overall gut punch that FDU game was, and to lose to a 16 seed in the tournament. But the reality is that might have actually been the thing that makes Zach Eady return because if they had gone right. to the Elite Eight of the Final Four then there's very little for him. I mean, doesn't that leave the taste in his mouth that he's going to say, I- I- I've got to go back and make good on that? Yeah, a little unfinished business. You right. Know? I mean, look, look uh, Trace Jackson Davis only came back because he got he got COVID just as the combine was beginning. And he told me, you know, point blank, that he was headed to the pros going into the combine. But he had some unfinished business. And I think he really, really enjoyed his last year at IU. And I think that that could be the case for Zach Eady. Again, I don't know his financial situation. I do know that he makes close to a million dollars at Purdue. So it's not like we're going to be passing the hat for him either way. Bob Kravitz from The Athletic. I hope he's still there. Bob, do you got us? I am. All right. Yeah, there was a weird pregnant pause there. Bob Crafts from The Athletic with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Shifting gears, Bob, it's the first time we've chatted with you since the draft selection of Anthony Richardson. Colts rookies back in the building today. They'll be with the veterans the rest of the spring offseason program. Uh, what did you think of the swing for the fences with Anthony Richardson? Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was exactly that. I thought I think this is a boomer bust type of selection. Uh, I thought Ed Dodd uh, was, you know, the assistant general manager for the Colts was really honest. He said, you know, at the beginning, I was like, this kid's got no resume. 13 games, what do we got here? 
Uh, I think I do think it's a swing for the fences, and it's something that I've given Ballard grief about. I think we all have that he's been too uh, conservative in his approach, and that he needs to take a risk. And I think this kid represents that risk. The one thing that I'll say, you know, and I completely disagree with a lot of the people in the market, and God bless them for saying what they think, but this idea that you throw him in week one, you learn you, you, you learn by playing is complete. You know, you look at Zach Wilson, you look at uh, uh, David Carr, how many quarterbacks are completely ruined? too fast. To me, you go with Minshew, unless unless Richardson totally blows everybody away. But otherwise, you go with Minshew for a couple of games, maybe half a season, whatever. Look, it doesn't, it's not what the, what the fans want to see, but you put this kid in when he's good and ready. Bob, devil's advocate to that because I've definitely been one of them that has said play him early. I don't know specifically, you know, Carr and I think Zach Wilson played a good amount at BYU. You know, people bring up Patrick Mahomes and how he sat his rookie season, how that went. He also played a lot in college. I'm of the thinking that Shane Steichen looks at him and says, we don't need to overwhelm him with some immense package. We will put him out there in a very controlled sort of game plan, things that he feels comfortable with, et cetera, et cetera, and that he just needs game reps because Unlike, and again, I'd have to look at Derek Carr or Zach Wilson's college stats, but I'd be willing to bet they didn't play just 13 games. Like It's almost like right. he just needs to play in game settings, and then as a coaching staff, from a game plan standpoint, you try to scale back that, that, that game plan as best you can. I, I understand that completely, but this is a guy that has to be your dude for 10, 12 years, and I just don't think you risk... Um, you know, undermining his his uh, his confidence. Uh, I I just don't think you take those kinds of risks with a guy who's who's going to be your guy for a long, hopefully, or more. Um, we look. We don't know where he's at right now. Uh, they seem to think he's coming along fine. Of course, they would say that. But let's let's give it some time. I have no problem with Gardner Minshew. None. I think he's a very good bridge quarterback and look wins and losses aren't going to matter next year which which makes your argument a little stronger wins and losses don't matter but at the same time all that matters is getting this kid out there when he's ready and helping him build and you know like somebody wrote to me said well Peyton played the whole year and it didn't seem to hurt him Peyton played 45 games in college this kid played 13 so I think there's a very very big difference there it's apples and oranges Bob, you know what's interesting is Bob Kravitz is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. What's interesting is, let's just say for the sake of argument that they do decide to to take Richardson slowly, and to your point, they hand the keys over to Gardner Minshew. It's entirely possible Gardner Minshew could be their best starting quarterback since Philip Rivers in terms of reliability. Now, he might be, maybe he's inconsistent, but I'm with you. I kind of like the guy. Do I think that he's a long-term starting quarterback? Hell no. But do I think that he is a very serviceable player that can be competitive and, and keep fans interested while they groom a younger guy underneath him? I do think so. I, I agree with you. And, and look, if you base it on Gardner Minshew against the Colts, he's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, <laughs> first ballot. He, he's had, first ballot. He's had some incredible games against the Colts. Every time I see that guy, he's balling out. And I just... You know, uh, if you're not sure that your kid is ready, 
then I have absolutely no qualms with going with Gardner Minshew and playing him for a number of games. Again, wins and losses don't much matter in the grand scheme of things, but you, you've got to be smart and you've got to wait until Richardson really gets it before you throw him out there and throw him to the Wolves. It's Bob Kravitz from The Athletic. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Bob, let's fast forward to, uh, let's say the year is 2031, and I have told you that one of the Pacers or the Colts have won a title in their respective sport. Uh, Which franchise are you betting on? Uh, I would always bet on the Colts just because of the finances. I mean, I think the, the Colts, financially, because of the way the NFL is structured, always have a chance. Uh, to win a Super Bowl, um, I think the the Pacers being being a small market team are always at a at, at something of a disadvantage. So I would say the Colts would be the more likely team to win a championship in this town be, before the uh, Pacers. Did anything? Um, Jake and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. Did anything ever develop? And I I feel like the NBA might have released something that, that that nothing did. Anything ever come out of the John ja Morant Pacers laser pointer thing in Memphis earlier this year? I know you were on that story. Yeah, yeah. They they investigated it. They say, um, and it's funny. You know, when when Sam Amick and I were. We're uh, trying to track that story down. We got a lot of resistance from the NBA and from the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. They were incensed that we got this story. And now look what's happened in the last couple of months. So, I mean, clearly Jaws got some issues. You know, I'm not smart enough to know if it's mental health. I'm not sure if he's just a bad guy. I, I don't know what the deal is, but... You know, if they had taken it seriously from the very beginning, maybe some of these uh, incidents that have happened since then, maybe they would not have happened. You, you never know. But, Bob, I had mentioned this earlier. To me, it's a fascinating discussion because while I, I have no idea what might have been written into John Morant's contract, I'm under the assumption probably nothing because the contract would have been signed before these indiscretions would have appeared but how do you discipline somebody for something that is criminally that's not criminal is what i'm getting at in other words does it show lack of maturity sure does it show a a tone deafness given especially in a city like memphis that has absolutely but he is not he's not broken the law in any way shape or form so how do you crunch down on that well, I, I look. I, I think guys do stuff all the time that that get that gets them. I mean, it's not it's not illegal to rip uh, rip a referee after a game, but you get fined pretty significantly for it. So I think I, I think the league is its own law in a way. You know, I mean, the NFL is always bring, coming down hard on guys. You know, even if they even if they don't commit a, a legal indiscretion. So. I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I think they just got to keep going in his pocketbook, and he's got to get help, man. He, you know, he supposedly went and got help. Um, how much of that was PR and how much of that was real, I don't know. I have never met John Morant, so I wish him I wish him better judgment in the future. Um, again, you never know if it's mental health. You don't know if the guy is just a bad guy. 
you don't know these things unless you really dive into into his background and his personality. The biggest concern for me would be this, and that is, and I'm talking about if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies, we can sit here and say every team, Bob, every team in any sport always says, well, we believe in character first. You know, we, we really yeah, want, we right. want guys, they all say that, right? Uh, uh, and look, character often is defined by the X's and O's. And in John Morant's case, my concern if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies is once this all came about and he was suspended and went to the counseling and whatever else, I thought his play dropped, quite frankly. I, I thought there oh, were yeah. games in the playoffs, he was just another guy on the floor. And that was never the case with this guy when we didn't know as much about him. Yeah, yeah. I, it was strange. I, I watched a lot of that series, and you're right. I mean, he had some games during the playoffs like Harden had Harden had yesterday. It's hard to figure, but I mean, I think John Morant is in a bad place, you know, and I, I, I feel for him to some degree. Again, maybe he's just a jerk and, and doesn't doesn't get it. But so I, I really would like to see some of the veterans in this league, you know, uh, come together and, and 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 reach out to Ja, and maybe they have. I don't know, but. Some of the, some of the guys who are solid pros in this league who get it and reach out to Jaw and try to figure out what's going on. Not that they're psychologists or anything, but maybe he listens to a Jason Tatum or a Tyrese Halliburton or somebody uh, who who uh, lives the life that he leads. Not the same in the same manner, but leads the NBA star life. You know, I'm a little kind of torn on the Morant thing from more of a background standpoint, and I guess I'll explain this. I've always found his background very interesting because he wasn't this mega five-star recruit. He went to Murray State. You know, part of me is like, oh, he's not going to run and and join these, you know, star-laden teams. He didn't grow up in an AAU mega culture and Team USA, this and that. But I almost wonder, had had he grown up in that environment, Maybe he would be a little bit more cognizant of his off the court stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. He'd be more. Um, he'd be held accountable a little bit more. Uh, I think if he had played uh, at those levels, I'm not really sure. It's a really good point, but it's very, very hard to say. You know, he's and I'm not condoning his activity. To be clear, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I understand he's from you know a very solid family and. Uh, you know, he's not a kid who comes from, from a tough background. This is my understanding from what I've read. So who knows what's going on in this guy's head. Maybe he's trying to ingratiate himself to, to certain people. Um, you know, it's hard for players with, you know, the guys they grow up with sometimes who uh, get to be part of their circle um, and, and don't have their best interests in heart. So he's just got to find a way to free himself of some of these people who are influencing him in, the, in a bad way. And for, let's be honest, he's influencing himself. He, nobody nobody is waving that gun except for John Moran. Uh, Kraken or Stars tonight in Game 7? Um, I think Philip Grubauer steals the game and your mighty Kraken move on. You're mighty cracking. Jake, you think that's a phrase that's ever been said? Listen, my last name starts with the letter Q, and they've been telling me forever the Kraken's on its way. So, you know, that's a K, right? The storm is rising. I'm just telling you. Those, those I don't understand. I don't understand that at all, Jake. What did you just say? (laughs) 
So I didn't follow that one. Okay, I will tell you this. Be- because my last name starts with the letter Q and I made the mistake of wearing a Q hat forever, the QAnon folks like thought that, that I was saying that I was part of QAnon. And the whole... <laughs> The whole thing about like the storm rising, their code word for that was Kraken before Seattle came up with this team. And like Oh, I didn't know that. The Kraken is rising, the the banks are gonna fall, and it's all a reset of the new world order. Aren't you Here glad you Kraken. joined us today, Bob? Well you guys uh, asked. I got I got a tea time in five minutes. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> What are you thinking? I'm just telling you. <laughs> uh, do you have an overall NHL pick the rest of the way, Bob? All my teams are gone. I mean, the Islanders are gone. Sure. Yeah, I'll tell you who's. I'll tell you who's really good. I'll tell you who's really good. Uh, Carolina. Carolina's really good. I like the way Frederick Anderson is playing in that. They're really good. And uh, Florida Panthers. Holy smoke! You beat Boston and you beat Toronto. Hey, that it's layoff good. might be what hurts Florida more than anything because they were red hot. They were red hot, and Bobrovsky is a goalie, uh, not to bore the hell out of your listeners, which I've done yeah. the last 20 minutes. We've already done it over but, two hours. Yeah, yeah, I figured as much. Uh, but he's a guy who's always been good in the regular season, has always sucked in the postseason. This might be his year to kind of step out and play well in the postseason because he's a talented dude. I love that I go on a QAnon rant and Bob's then worried about losing the audience. <laughs> I know. Bob, I want, to see those ratings. I want to see those ratings for this particular That's right. That took a sharp turn at yeah. 919. Uh-huh, yeah. Big nosedive there. Uh, Bob, if you are getting out there today, hit him well. All right. Will do. That's Bob Kravitz right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Guys, if Dallas wins tonight, the four cities represented in the Final Four for the NHL, Dallas, Vegas, what, Charlotte, and the Florida Panthers are in Tampa? No, not Tampa. Uh, Carolina's uh, in Raleigh, right? Is it Raleigh? I think so, yeah. Where are the Florida Panthers? Miami. Yeah, Miami. Basically, what I was getting at is four warm weather yeah. climates. Is that bad four, for the four NHL? Four teams that go swimming in spring training. Yeah, sure. Is that bad for the NHL? Well, like we said, it's been since 93 that a Canadian team has won. I, is it bad? I would the Kraken be better than Dallas? I think that people just automatically think of hockey, yes, as like Boston, Toronto, you know, the cold weather cities for sure. Penguins. Whatever happened to the Red Wings? They were so good when I was growing up. Oh, uh, my buddy Mike McAllister, the biggest Red Wings fan ever. Yeah, they were like when I was in college, they were the deal, man. Steve Eiserman and that group. Huge. Is it Osgood. Huge. Chris I, Osgood. They, right? they moved arenas. That was the, the beginning of the end form, I guess, right? Uh, Alex Pillow and a few? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, let's do a morning check down. Major League Baseball yesterday it was the Marlins over the Reds 3-1. Dodgers over the Padres 4-0. I'm giving you an abbreviated scoreboard. Cardinals over the Red Sox, 9-1. Cute fella, short in against the Pirates. Pittsburgh wins 4-0. Milwaukee over the Royals, 9-6. Astros over the White Sox, 4-3. Indianapolis Indians, 15-3 winners over the St. Paul Saints. Did I mention the Cubs score? Yeah, the NFL game. Twins over the Cubs, 16-3. That was an early swoosh, Mark. 
I thought it was right on time. Just cutting off Jake mid mid statement there. Uh, moving over to the hardwood, we do have four now in the NBA playoffs left, and it's the same four we had in the bubble playoffs a couple of years ago. Out west, it'll be the Lakers and the Warriors tomorrow night. That is the Nuggets as the one seed hosting the seven seed Lakers. Boy, that Anthony Davis Nikola Jokic matchup will certainly be. A, a great one. Uh, and then a day later, so it'll be Wednesday night, you'll have game one of the Celtics hosting the Heat. Again, the last time we've had a seven and an eight seed in the conference finals, I there's no way that's happened very often in the NBA. I mean, it's only the second time we've ever had an eight seed. I can't imagine there's been too many seven seeds that yeah. have made it this far. I mean, And I get that it's Lakers and Heat, but is this why you do the play-in? I, do the... The, the Nuggets, what what's the what are the Nuggets plus one sixty right now? No, the Nuggets are a slight favorite. Or, I mean, that's what I meant. The, um, the Lakers yeah, are plus one sixty, like my, yeah, minus one fifty. I saw yeah. for the Nuggets, but that I mean that disparity in the East, and I do think Boston feels like a team of destiny because I think Jason Tatum is just at a different level right now. Yeah. But Miami is a very good team and can play in various ways. I, I mean, they're going to be a plucky problem for Boston, but I think Boston advances. Boston is a huge favorite yeah. in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I lost it. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Thank you. Uh, college basketball, by the way, one note. Indiana getting a big recruit over the course of the weekend. McKenzie and Baco, 6'8", top 10 recruit out of New Jersey. Originally a Duke commit, chose Indiana over Kansas. Yeah, decommitted when Duke had, was it Kyle Flipowski, I believe, their big guy, or one of their, I guess, not necessarily a big guy, but um, stayed in the NBA draft, so look at kind of a 3-4 guy. Uh, Indiana's front court certainly going to be much, much different. I think different styles as well, a little bit more versatile, a little bit more perimeter-oriented. Um, we'll see if this guy again kind of fits in small forward, power forward, uh, but it'll be a much different looking team in Bloomington this season for Mike Woodson. Uh, lastly, on the Pacers, <laughs> lastly on the Pacers front, we'll have the lottery tomorrow night. So the Pacers currently have the seventh best odds in the lottery. We'll see. They can get one, two, three, or four. They cannot get five or six. Uh, most likely in that seven, eight, nine range, but. Uh, we'll see how the ping pong balls bounce for them tomorrow night with the lottery at 8. Up next, Alex Pillow, dominant, dominant yesterday, or I should say Saturday at the Grand Prix, and certainly has to be viewed as one of the favorites for the Indianapolis 500 coming up a week from Sunday. We'll chat with the. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. American Legion car next. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 14.7, his averaging finish on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That's going to significantly jump up. Mark James, help bring home Alex Below. Uh, with American Legion sponsorship on one of the side pods, he is a likable young driver, and he will come off of turn number 14 and see the twin checkers in the air. Alex Below, a dominant run. He led 53 laps on the day. He goes to victory lane by 16. 
10 seconds over Pato Award. Mark James on the call for IndyCar Radio on Saturday. Alex Pillow in dominating fashion, winning the GMR Grand Prix of Indianapolis. And now it is on to the Indianapolis 500-mile race. And the Spaniard now joins us on the Payless Liquors hotline. Alex Pillow, I will begin with the uh, question that everybody wants to know. And that is, you have had a tradition of eating winner winner chicken dinner fried chicken dinners when you win a race did you enjoy fried chicken on saturday and if so from where absolutely how are we doing guys thank you for having me um well we had a little bit of uh dinner at home so um some of my family members uh are here already to um to enjoy the dnd 500 and we just ordered a little bit at home to to celebrate and and continue the tradition but yeah super excited of uh of last weekend uh couldn't be a better start for the 10 car uh for the month of may alex i was joking with jake at the start of the show i'm like a 16 second win that's like something you see on the f1 front you've had a dominant win before but again it's not something that's been the norm this season in indycar uh how surprised were you by the gap and i guess when did you know that you had such a dominant car and and certainly a dominant strategy um well honestly we we had an amazing car since we got there uh we've always been quite fast but not uh, this fast, honestly, at, at the road course. Um, but yes, in practice one, we, we felt that we were really good. And then during the warm up, we actually struggled a little bit on, on the soft car compound. Uh, so we went for a completely different strategy to, to start, um, compared to our competitors and it paid off. So yeah, we, we just had a clean day. Um, the crew was amazing on the pit stops. Uh, the strategy calls were on point and, we could just uh, push as much as we wanted, and that's why we opened such a big gap. That yeah, it's maybe not what uh, we're used to in IndyCar, but uh, once you have uh, those days that everything falls off uh, perfectly for you, it was it was uh, pretty easy to do. Alex, I remember in your rookie year in the IndyCar series, you're driving for Dale Coin. It was a such an odd year anyway because I think that was the COVID year if I'm not mistaken so like the season kind of yeah. gets delayed and you know we half the time there's no crowd you know we just it was very odd all of it and I recall running into you at mid-Ohio and saying to you you know what I know the results haven't been there but like I think you've been really impressive this year as a rookie and you said man I need a big result this weekend because I've got nothing for next year I got no sponsorship money I don't have anything in the hopper and you didn't have a great weekend. I, I can't remember what happened. You got punted or something. But yet the opportunity comes with Chip Ganassi and then your career takes off. And we know for those that are unfamiliar, last year after your second year with Chip Ganassi was, of course, when you announced that you were going to be going to Arrow McLaren. That went to a litigation and your contract was such that you're still with Chip Ganassi and you're still winning races and seemingly working well with them. Has this all, to an extent, been at times almost too hard to handle because it has come so fast? Um, no, I mean, yeah, it's true that uh, at Mid Ohio that year um, the situation was not great. Uh, didn't really have anything for the future, and that weekend was going to be good for us in terms of result. We started third and got punted on turn one, so um, it was a bit frustrating. But uh, yeah, uh, Chip. 
personally and all the chicken ice racing team gave me the opportunity to be on a on a winning uh winning car um and and we made it we we won the championship in 21 22 was tough as you said uh was an ideal the situation but uh yeah we're back to normal back to how we want to uh work and and it's been a great start of the season uh we've been always there fighting um for for the races um and and, and we had the first win of the season um, these past weekend, so yeah, we're looking strong, and hopefully, you can keep it going um, now for the 500. So, will you engage in conversation with them regarding extending a contract with Ganassi, or is it kind of an understood from all parties that at the end of the year you will likely be moving to other pastures? Um, well, it's it's still not uh, not hundred percent sure what what we're gonna do. I think from the experience that we had last year of uh, talking, uh, let's say outside um, outside the doors of the team, uh, we we know that it's better to keep it all internal, and, and when it's time to announce something, uh, we will do. But yeah, it's very early into the season. Um, we're focused on like each race weekend, and, and hopefully we can uh, keep on winning races. The focus for this week shifts to the Oval. Alex Pillow with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Alex, certainly a couple years ago, quite the duel with Elio Castroneves late in that race. But I actually want to go back to maybe what, when, I guess, was the first time that you set eyes on the Oval at IMS? And what were your first impressions when you got out there on, on the track? Um, yeah, obviously it was... Um I mean, coming from Europe, you're not used to seeing ovals, but uh, when you go to IMS, it's something crazy on how big the, the track is, uh, everything, just like the atmosphere that you feel there. Unfortunately, when I first went into IMS, it was um, when, when the pandemic was hitting really hard and there was no fans allowed, which was pretty sad, but honestly, last year that... Uh, we almost had like full crowd. It was uh, it was amazing. I just had so much fun. Um, it's a race that I used to see when I was a kid from Europe. Um, a race that it's important worldwide that uh, you know that once you win that race, um, you're going to be part of history. Not in in the US, but uh, I would say most of sports in general. So uh, we we had some good races there. Um, last year was also a good one. Uh, the strategy didn't fall off perfectly for us, but still we had one of the fastest cars out there, um, and we were able to win with with Marcus for for the team, which was great, uh, great motivation for everybody. Uh, so yeah, hopefully uh, we can keep on knocking that door. Uh, it's a tough race. It's a very long race, and you need. Honestly, a, a perfect day to 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 fight for the win at the end of the race. It might be too early to ask this question. It might be a dumb question, so I apologize ahead. But like, if I were to tell you, all right, Alex, a week from Sunday, a hundred, we're on lap one eighty eight. What would be the perfect spot that you would want to be in? Would you want to be in the lead, or would you want to be second? Would you want to be third? Like, how do you kind of view potentially what what could happen a week from Sunday, and where that perfect spot would be with about ten or twelve to go? Um, I would say always in the lead, uh, honestly. Um, you never know what's going to happen. If, if there's going to be um, a red flag or something that you you always want to be in the lead. And once you're there, you know you can 
just maybe play it a bit conservative and, and try and uh, defend here or there. Uh, but when you're in the lead, let's say that you can take more decisions. While if you're second, let's say, uh, which is always a good spot also to be like two or three laps to go, um, it's 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 tougher because it, it doesn't depend only on you. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can be up there uh, leading. That would be a perfect scenario. Otherwise, uh, it's it's one of those tracks that it doesn't matter until you cross the finish line. Like, um, yeah, everything can happen. Even uh, we saw some finishes uh, on the straight line, like 10 seconds before the or two seconds before the checklist checkered flip drops uh, you don't know who's going to win so yeah uh, as long as we are in the top two three uh, two laps to go I think we're going to be in a good place to fight it Alex I'm curious of this Alex blows our guest on the Payless Sugars hotline you've been through three Indy 500s now the first one we talked about kind of weird no fans you know there's a lot of weird stuff going on year two you're right there in the end battling it out with Castro Nevis fabulous finish Year three last year, you know, a top 10 team wins it. So it was a good month for you. But there's so much that goes into the 500. So I want to talk about having nothing to do with racing, totally outside of when you're in the cockpit of the car. In terms of the next two weeks, what's the thing that you actually find yourself getting most excited about? What's the most fun part of these next two weeks, whether it be the parade, whether it be appearances you have to make, whether it be like a dinner that you do. What's your favorite part about it? Yeah, talking with us. What's your favorite part about the lead-up to the Indy 500? Um, It's a special two, three weeks, man. Um, We got to do a lot of media stuff, which is super fun because it feels like everybody's super excited, the people interviewing, the people listening, yourself. I would say for me personally, uh, one of the coolest moments, I mean, everything is cool, but uh, one of my favorite moments uh, has to be the driver's parade. Um, it's just amazing, the atmosphere and the energy that you get from the fans, um, from the city itself. I think it's it's a great event. Um, my family is always there. They always come, so they make it extra uh, special. And then driver intros, man. Driver intros is the first time, like, you. we've been here... Uh, for like three weeks at the IMS and there's a lot of people like um, this past weekend we had I think like 50,000 people which is quite a lot for uh, a one-day event Um, but then when you walk in on the driver intros for the first time and there's like 300,000 people in front of you you can feel the sound and they say your name and people normally they 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 are happy that they say every driver's name Um, it's it's really special so I would say that's my uh my two favorite moments obviously the race but uh yeah those are it's just a special special event uh in general as you can imagine have you ever had to sneeze during the race i've always wondered what happens with that because Uh, um honestly i don't think like while driving fast just because um i mean i guess the adrenaline doesn't allow you to sneeze or something but when there's let's say cautions um and you relax a little bit more uh yeah obviously we had i had to sneeze and and stuff like that but yeah um nothing more than that so yeah I'm pretty good. That'd be well, kind of messy in the helmet. Don't well, you think, I, and Jake, I guess I blame you for this. But while we're on the bodily fluid um, talk, it, it went. 
Alex, when's the last time that you go to the bathroom on Sunday morning before race day, if you don't mind me asking? Right before you get in the car, probably. Yeah, I mean, as, as late as possible. Um, but normally it's right after driver intros. Um, because before driver intros, we're all in the green room. Um, we are doing media stuff. Then you're waiting for driver intros. And then there might be a gap of like five to ten minutes maximum before the anthem. Uh, so, yeah, you need to run, try and get a, a bathroom that is not occupied and, and do the last one. But, uh, yeah, it's always hectic for all the drivers. Normally we see each other waiting uh, to try and get <laughs> the turn there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's important to do it. I mean, we have to be really hydrated, so you normally uh, need to do many stops uh, before the race um, to, to try and avoid having any issues. Alex, last thing from me. I had the pleasure, um, as I've probably only told you 50 times in october i was in your hometown of barcelona which was absolutely beautiful i thought the people were fabulous the food i mean everything i cannot recommend it enough i thought it was one of the clearly one of the great cities in the world i know for a time you lived in indianapolis do you still call indianapolis home um and from the time that you did live here what's your favorite thing about indy yeah absolutely i live uh in indianapolis it's my third year i believe yeah um i love it i mean the only thing i struggle a little bit more might be the weather compared to spain uh i mean in spain we have an amazing weather and here now it's good but i mean we have a lot of cold for for a spanish guy um but uh, i don't know honestly i really like the area uh where i live the people as well um I don't know. I just have my routine here with the team, with the gym, and I I love it here. Honestly, we have a lot of fun. Um, there's quite a lot of things to do during summer outdoors, which I love. So um, yeah, I'm I'm really happy here. Um, if you guys could change a little bit the weather, make it a bit warmer, <laughs> that would be welcome. Otherwise, yeah, I'm still good. Yeah, we'll get. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get our magic powers on that. Okay, last last one, Alex. Something I love to do during the month of May, particularly as the race inches closer. I love to watch like old finishes particularly i feel like over the last 10 to 12 years we've had some great ones you were part of that just a couple years ago with elio like i mentioned have you gone back and watched that finish in particular and if so how many times yeah absolutely i don't know more than i would say 50 times um yeah, 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 for sure. Maybe more. I mean, I like to analyze everything. Um, at that time, honestly, I don't think I did something wrong. I just, um, I just didn't really have experience. It was my second Indy 500. But uh, yeah, before last year, um, I wanted to get ready. I watched it many times, and this year I've been watching it quite a lot. It's painful, but honestly, you learn. You you try and say, okay, if I'm in that situation again, what should I? change or what can I try and do to, to avoid getting overtaken or to try and pass um, and yeah I agree with you that the last the last 10 years we had amazing finishes and also it's it's really close to what we drive now in terms of downforce and power like if we go back 15 years ago 
they had different downforce and, and therefore the, the way they drive it's a bit different but yeah um, yeah hopefully we'll be ready for it um, and hopefully we can be happy once the, the race is finished. I think on YouTube Alex they actually have the last few laps of that duel with Castro Nevis uh, synced to the radio broadcast so you know I would encourage you to partake in that just to accentuate the experience by <laughs> hearing the dulcet tones of the radio um, announcers for what it's worth right? <laughs> <laughs> will do Alex congrats Congrats again. It was dominant over the weekend, and I know again in the car tomorrow, hopefully weather permitting, starts a pretty fun two weeks for you over at the Oval. So thank you for the time this morning. Good luck a week from Sunday, and uh, certainly we'll be rooting for you. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good one. That is Alex Pillow right there on the Payless Slickers hotline. Jake, you one don't of the get favorites. very far down the list before you mention his name, yep, right? one of the favorites. One of the top five favorites, probably. And you can be there. Pop quiz next. Pair Andy 500 tickets up for grab. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. So Jake Alex Plow starts a very busy week for us. It'll be Tony Kanaan tomorrow, and then what? Felix Rosenquist, then Pato Award, and Alexander Rossi to round it out. So really looking forward to this week from a driver standpoint. And uh, the caller that gets on this pop quiz is going to get a pair of tickets to the 500 all week long. So if you want to start us off with a number, uh, we'll go with number three. Number three, Mark Dykton, Bobby. Bobby! Bobby, what's up? Bobby! Robert? <laughs> All right. Off to a good shirt there. Here we go. <laughs> okay. I don't even think we saw the green flag there with Bobby. Uh, who's up next, Mark? Br- Ryan. Ryan? Yep. Hello. Ryan, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Ryan, Ryan can you tell me the last Ryan to win the Indy 500? Uh, Ryan Hunter Ray. Nice. This. How you... many 500s for you, Ryan? Oh, I do not know. Quite a few. How about this? Can you tell me the first Bob to win the Indy 500? Oh, uh, Bob. Mm, Bobby Unther? That would be one of them. I would say... Uh... Wouldn't have been the first, though, right? Bob Swiker? Mm. Yeah, I was going to guess Ray Hall. Bobby Ray Hall as well. Um, all right, would you like, we're up against it here. Would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Kevin to lead you off with question number one, Ryan? Uh, Jake. Watch all right. Hands. Uh, here we go. The Boston Celtics beat the Sixers in game seven of the conference uh, Eastern Conference semifinal series to advance to the Eastern Conference finals for the second straight year. Well, they will take on the Miami Heat. Who did the Celtics defeat in last year's conference finals to advance to the NBA finals? Would it be the Heat? The Milwaukee Bucks, the Sixers, or the Raptors? I think it's actually... I just said it in the build-up there, right? Um, I will go with the Bucks. All right, number two here, Ryan. Uh, Jason Tatum, 51 for the Celtics yesterday's clincher. It's the most points scored by one player in a Game 7 in the NBA playoffs. Whose record that was set a few weeks ago did he break? Kevin Durant, Sam Jones, Steph Curry, or Dominique Wilkins? Steph Curry. 
Uh, Durant. Okay. Uh, question three. Vegas eliminated the Edmonton Oilers from the Stanley Cup playoffs last night, extending Canada's Stanley Cup drought to 30 years. Name the last Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup. Was it the Edmonton uh, Oilers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Vancouver Canucks, or the Montreal Canadiens? Uh, the Canadiens. Nice. All right, Ryan. How many 500s over under 25 for you? Uh, under. Okay. Uh, all right, number four here. Alex Pelot won the GMR Grand Prix, and if you were just listening, Jake mentioned this to him. Pelot will attempt to qualify for his fourth Indy 500 this weekend. What team did Pelot drive for as a rookie in 2020? Ganassi, Dale Coyne, Carlin Racing, or Dreyer and Reinbold Racing? The Dale Coyne. And question five, who leads Major League Baseball with RBI this year, with 42 of them so far? Is it Jordan Alvarez, Adalas Garcia, Randy Arozarena? Arozarena, sorry, or Rafael Devers? Devers, sorry. I don't know. Can I get a hint on this one? (laughs) (laughs) His brother, Sergio, won the Masters. That's right. Half dozen years ago. His initials would lead you to believe he's the attorney general. Uh, whoever's Garcia. Look at that. Ryan's a smart, smart fellow here. Uh, Jake, uh, poor start, good finish. Is that what we're going with on the pop quiz? Yeah, not bad. That's usually how our show goes. It kind of went the way of me trying to pronounce the names of Major League Baseball players. Should we go back to our MLB stats discussion from, from, from earlier after that? Um all right, Ryan, uh, number one, unfortunately, who did the Celtics defeat in last year's conference finals? Jake, he said the Bucks. Uh, the answer, because I think I said it in the way that it was written, for the second straight year, they're going to take on the Miami Heat. When I say that he's trash, like, I, I mean that. You blew it! Steph Curry, the Canadians, Butler? Dale Coyne, and Garcia. All correct. He's not even in my lead. <laughs> Jimmy Butler. Who was he talking about there? I forget. That was not the TJ Warren stuff. Yeah. Well, that yeah, was the TJ yeah. Warren uh-huh. stuff, was it? Gosh, I forgot about that. I mean, I remember it. I forgot about the post game. Uh, Jake, you know something we need to get into the rest of this week and next? I enjoyed last year. I don't know if you did. Asking you just like Indy 500 related questions and just letting you sure. expound. It's my two weeks of relevance. Upon that. I know Beyond the Bricks is part of that, but this is a little bit more kind of present day. Um, I I thought you asked a great trivia question during the break weekend, maybe. Not a trivia question, but a possibility for the 500 coming up a week from Sunday that we can chat about. Oh, you liked that? I did. Okay. I I mean, you know me. I'm a a big geography guy as well. I think it's cool when you throw that in there. I'm cool with that. So nothing today, right? Weather permitting tomorrow, 9 a.m. Correct. Gates open at 8. That is correct. Uh, we will have you covered all week long. And Tony Kanan tomorrow, and also look ahead to the Pacers lottery. Ping pong ball is bouncing tomorrow night, so we'll chat about that as well. If you missed it, Doug Bowles, Bob Kravitz, Alex Plo, all on the podcast. Everybody have a great Monday. We'll chat with you tomorrow.